1: Welcome to Advice from a Young Tradesman, Season 3, Episode 5. I'm your host, Noah Cantor, and I am really excited to present this episode. This one has been a long time coming. Tyler Tilton is one of the owners of Green Mountain Painters in my local market, Burlington, Vermont, and we actually recorded this one in person in my new house, which was fun. Tyler and Green Mountain Painters may have gotten on your radar last summer when they started posting some really fun Instagram lift content on some really wild exteriors. Uh, near the end of the season there but there's a lot more to him in this business that stand out to me and we get into that for about three solid hours. Tyler and I only started talking around this time last year and we immediately bonded over our nerdiness about stain grade exterior work and from there I got to know him more and learn more about his business and as you'll see he's a fascinating and brilliant person Green Mountain is a really unique business on so many fronts, and we will get into all of that right after thanking the sponsors. A big thanks to Armstrong Clark for underwriting season three. If you are into stain-grade exterior work, this episode is a treat, because you will hear Tyler and I talk at a high level about what's different with this kind of work, particularly in how it's sold, how expectations are managed with the client, how squirrely getting a nice-looking substrate can be, all of it. We also tease apart a concept that he came up with that I really like, the question of, are we selling a process or a fixed like end goal outcome, a result, which applies really well to this stain grade work. It's a great way to think about it. And if you are thinking about all of this at a high level and doing this kind of work, you need to be using Armstrong Clark. It is in its own category. There is nothing else like it. Tyler knows it. I know it. Exterior exterior season is coming up, so if you haven't experienced it for yourself, I would urge you to give the company a call. Check out their website. They have amazing resources. Order a sample kit, familiarize yourself with this great brand, and be ready to hit the ground running for your best exterior season yet. Check out their website. Again, their socials. Ask me. Happy to field questions on this front. And another thanks to the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association, for underwriting season three as well. Tyler and I also touch on the importance of being part of the broader industry and having community in relation to growth and expanding horizons, and the PCA is an amazing collection of the best and brightest minds in our industry. Fun fact, the first time Tyler and I met in person was when Nick Slavic came to town on his East Coast master's class tour, which was facilitated by the PCA, and me, him, and Slavic went out to dinner one night, and the next day was a master's class. It was awesome. Now that COVID is done and the PCA is doing more and more, there will be more opportunities like this going forward. So pay attention to the events, be willing to travel, and also be willing to raise your hand and put something together in your local market. It is worth it. Check out the PCA and all they have to offer. You will not regret it. All right, that is it. Here is the episode. This is a long one, but a good one. There was so much to get into and we cover a lot of bases. I hope you enjoy.
0: But that's the weakness of no or low-code platforms is you're not in charge of the source code. You're basically, it's it's like another level removed. Um, you know, programming languages are already a level or two removed from computer, you know, base basic code, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're coding in something simple like HTML or JavaScript, like that's already basically a graphical, simple. Simple. you know, it's all but, even though it's text, like that's just an interface with how it's how it's doing that and the no code software that's coming out is basically just another level of coding on top of other levels of coding i feel like this
1: is an interesting segue or like like what you just said is a great segue and like a a hint of where we're going to go in this episode because you're a painter talking and you probably just (laughs) didn't sound like a painter talking People are probably like, is, "Did no one have Jason Paris on again?" But like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, and okay, painters should yeah, do this. Painters. painters should be in charge of their own.
1: And that is why you're here right <laughs> now because you're an extremist <laughs> painter on so many fronts, and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, Tyler Chilton, we are sitting in my relatively new house in a hole in the wall that I saw last weekend. That I have a small table on. Um, we can call this the pass through sessions or something. What are yes, they called? The breakfast breakfast nook, breakfast pass through. It's
0: um, really great. It would be yeah. Uh, it's cozy, right? Yeah.
1: Imagine if that's cozy so have, yeah open. Yes, that's like of natural light. Yep, if I have Lac samples on either side of us because mm-hmm. um, it's untrimmed. We're looking at raw two by fours. This there there should be. A, we'll take a selfie of this like after to go with the post about it so people can know what we're talking about but okay you are one of the most fascinating painters I've talked to it just so happens that you are in my local market and I think people know some things about you but we haven't done like a full sit down get to know you and delve into that brain and that's why you're here today so
0: okay yeah thanks for
1: And you, you seem to talk about all this stuff like it's kind of like par for the course for you and everybody should be doing it, which is what is so fascinating because you do so many things that none of us, very few of us do or even think about. And we're going to get into all that. Um, I think it's worth just talking about what kind of work you do and the environment that we're in we're in a unique market, I think, and you have created very unique solutions to the problems and challenges and realities of our market. Sure. So 30,000 foot view, what does your company do?
0: Well, at this time, we're exterior only, mm-hmm. which I know can sound very weird to people who know what it's like to be a painter in a northern climate. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's really evolved over the course of you know, decade and a half plus um that there's a niche uh that needs to be filled for specialization in exterior. Mm-hmm. Um we started out like most painting companies trying to do everything. Um painting inside in the winter the winter painting outside in the summer. Um when uh we started realizing that uh the only way we could really make money back then was painting outside we, we started wondering why we're even painting inside mm-hmm. and uh over the years we've just really moved away from it and i think it was five four or five years ago is when we officially stopped providing interior painting services and went to a full seasonal company
2: mm-hmm.
1: which makes so much sense on a lot of fronts, but also creates a lot of potential problems or things to be solved, right? Because we all need to make money in some way and sustain ourselves for these, you know somewhat you know, these are relatively long winters compared to the rest of the country. So you know there's a whole lot of little micro challenges and, and things within there. but like let's let's talk about two the types of work, the type of work that you guys do really well. We have really unique challenges in this market. You, you're not doing, you know, seven to eight year repaints on hardy board color changes on, on you know, identical homes and neighborhoods that just sprawl and sprawl and sprawl. You guys do, you know, three story gabled Victorians with lead falling off of them and, and right. just crazy soffits and, you know, 20 feet apart from the next house. Like
0: we can you, do that. We do um, our share of hardy board cookie-cutter houses. They do come over our desk. and um, Would you have to do
1: half of what you do, though? Like, would you need all the lists and everything? Okay, you think so. You know
0: what I will say about that. I do, and we'll get there. But
1: realistically, you guys are built around some of the hardest jobs that an exterior company could be tasked with doing. Yes. That makes the rest of the stuff cake. Right.
0: in many ways
1: yeah 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 you get you know some two-story ranch thing with a perfectly flat yard around it and that's mm-hmm. you know so yep. like, yeah ju- like just to center this around the highly technical work yeah. that you do seasonally and I want to kind of go down the rabbit hole of what what you've had to do behind the scenes to make that possible from right. the the labor to the technical systems um, let's just really quick. Let's, let's get a sense of, of the history of, of you and your company. How did it come to be? I know you have a partner in it. What's, what's
0: the, the trajectory there? Uh, yeah. Um, started in 2005. Um, my partner actually was the one who had the idea because he had painted for a local painter mm-hmm. in college. And uh, he said, you know, the pitch was basically, hey, we can paint a house in like a week And charge like (laughs) $5,000. So let's do that. We'll make a lot of money and then we'll go into real estate and make millions. And believe it or not, that was the plan. Okay. It was like a five-year plan. Mm -hmm. We'll paint houses for $5,000 a pop, roll in money, buy real estate, and move on with our lives. Mm -hmm. But um, neither of us, my partner or I, do end up really able to do anything kind of like Halfway, So of course we decide we're going to build a great painting company and we start doing work um, way harder than you think it would be Mm -hmm. starting a painting company, especially in the conditions that we had back then. Um, My partner took a year off early on. Uh, I forged ahead. He came back um, and we slowly developed this painting company into what it is now. Um, it took way longer than it should have, um, do a lot of typical head trash, you know, all that stuff. Um, but we, uh, we, the kind of like what you're saying about the nature of the market here, it, it, it took a while for us to realize what a weird market that we live in. Mm -hmm. But once we started realizing that is when our company actually started to take shape. into this company that focuses on access and technicality and realizing that it's it's not something that necessarily any painting company could or should be doing yes a painting company that's really good at painting kitchens shouldn't necessarily be painting the outside of someone's house right because the they're completely different trades. They are.
1: I th- I think your story is an argument for specialization with within a specialized trade. Yes. And part of meeting you made it easier for me to ditch exteriors and go all interior. Um, Which still was just me.
0: So I <laughs> learn that I could have had any hand in taking you off from staying great exterior work. I know. <laughs> if if your hand
1: could tame the weather, then then that's fine. But. I, another thing to note here too is that your the trajectory of building your business pretty much happened without any sort of industry connection or or looking much outside to the broader industry until what like last year yeah ish yeah, yeah so, very isolated yeah
0: and, uh, um, it definitely was eye opening to realize this this all existed you know that there was this community of of people out there who are really incredible doing Mm. incredible things and and putting the stories out there um that was very eye-opening and it was it was lonely for a long time you know just kind of grinding yeah um so it is kind of nice to have uh you know showed up i did participate in the old days uh with uh the deep dive into like paint talk Oh, yeah. You know, back when I started the company in 2005, yeah. 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. um, a lot of, uh, I wasn't a painter. I'd never painted. Mm. I just had the drive to do it the best way possible. So, um, and I've always had the, the urge to just learn stuff. Mm-hmm. So I took starting a painting company not necessarily as a, oh, I've just got to go paint. It was. I've got to learn this industry, and I've got to learn how to do this. And so I really immersed myself in what was available online yep. that was being produced by the industry at the time, which was abysmal. The PCA was a joke back then. Yep. Uh, there was Talk no communities was, uh, that existed outside of like Paint Talk, and even Paint Talk was eighty percent. You just had a you had to have a really good filter. Yes. To play on Paint Talk.
1: I've talked to, to ZK about that too, because he came up isolated in a silo, frustrated at that platform, but like, like I think he he used that exact word. You have to sift through a lot of nonsense mm-hmm. and and, and yell at it. But it's there, be, it's there, to be honest. It's there to be if pished. you can find it. That's how I learned softwashing and skin grade yeah. stuff. That's yeah.
0: That's it. Um Yeah. But yeah, no, it's a frustrating place to be. Yeah. And then and so once I think the the thing is is once I after like maybe four or five years, um, I probably became a decent painter mm-hmm. at which point I unplugged from those resources because I kind of knew what I was doing yep. and focused on running a business mm-hmm. and uh, you know, to varying degrees of success. You know, we have, if you look back over the annual sales, you know, we have a nice upward trajectory each year. We do a little better than the past outside of like one year where it's just a weird year. Um so there's that, but it shouldn't have necessarily been that. Like we could have, you know, if I had been more involved with the community, if I'd stuck around
2: mm-hmm.
0: for the community that developed in the, you know, six six plus years that I uh didn't go online at all with regards to like trying to learn painting. Um I think I could you know, we could have just done a lot more sooner. Sure. Because it's an sure. incredible resource.
1: It is. But it's it's understandable why you checked out for so long, too. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah. And, and it then, wasn't
0: until you reached out. I think you called me. I, or Yeah, because my realtor
1: told me about you. And I was like, yeah, I've seen the trucks. Like, I recommended you guys for years just because every time I drove past a job site, it just looked like the tightest operation. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, I don't, they, they probably and don't suck yeah. based like on don't. these drive-bys of job <laughs> sites. I've never talked to these people, but they probably don't suck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was curious, but yeah. yeah. And then, and then you
0: put me on the podcast scene. Yeah. I listened to a few podcasts. The first time we met open.
1: was going out to <laughs> dinner with Slavic when he was in town. That was really? the first time we actually hung out in person was you, me, and Slava going out through there. I the feel work. like I knew
0: you so well Yeah, because we point. had
1: been like talking on the phone and working out like chemical stripping. Yeah. Like all that stuff. About, yeah. What do you do with us? And I had an yeah. unanswered
0: question. Totally. When you called me, I thought you were a guru of, it's weird how when you talk about me, you talk about me like I know everything and this like this guy knows his stuff. with. And yeah. meanwhile, when you called me and started talking about stain grade stuff, I was like, oh, man, (laughs) somebody I can ask these questions to. And it turns out after we put our heads together that stain grade stuff's just really hard. It's just really hard. And anybody, uh, I think the mark of a good stain grade exterior specialist is knowing that you don't know. Knowing you don't know. And knowing what you don't know. And knowing that communication with the customer is a lot more important than chemicals
1: sometimes (laughs) and we're gonna go down the rabbit hole on the whole process versus outcome thing because i love that i think i mean we're sitting here looking at Holland Lack right now Mm -hmm. i think exterior stain grade finicky stuff in our market is like the exterior version of fine paints high gloss interior because it's squirrely you gotta go through a frustrating learning curve it's the highest level stuff you can do you have to be geared out in a way different
0: way there's a little bit of a difference In that if you try really, really, really hard and just put way, way more work into it. Now, this is coming from somebody who doesn't have experience with Holland Mm Lack. But it seems to me that if you really put in the effort, you can get Holland Lack to look good. Yes. You build the clean room. Mm -hmm. You follow all the rules. You don't skimp. Exterior stain grade, as you know. Yes. True. It doesn't matter how hard you try sometimes. It doesn't matter what your chemical blend is or yes. what the temperature is out that day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes old wood is just old wood. Yes. And, you know. So there is that <laughs> asterisk.
1: Yeah, with enough filler and opaque,
0: uh, high-quality stuff, yeah.
1: anything can look good if you right. If you try it. Yeah. just um, do it again. Yeah. You can't just do it again with
0: stain-grade work. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, but. so it's harder. Okay. No, yeah. I do not really need to make that argument. No, not. absolutely not. I take your point. Take There's it. a reason I don't... Paint inside because I think painting inside is harder. Mm. Like I Mm -hmm. literally do. Mm -hmm. And I think that high gloss stuff, which is some of my favorite Instagram content Mm -hmm. is some of the most impressive painting work. I feel like, you know what I'm, I'm, you know, spreading, you know, rubbery plastic on the outside of a house and that (laughs) never will not show brush marks Mm -hmm. and never will look perfect. Yeah. And if you have to really put yourself in that, I'm, you know, that value, yes, it looks good from 50 feet, but you get up close and, you know, it's acrylic exterior paint. It's yes. not, and it's not a nice enamel. It's not. And by the way, I haven't filled and polished the house until it gleams without paint. And so, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like the work that we do is easier. And what makes it difficult is the... The view from way above,
2: mm-hmm. the
0: access problems, yep. the weather, yep. um, the prep systems, yep. and being efficient—you yep. know—that's all way more important. Whereas from a technical skill standpoint, there's nothing more difficult probably than interior painting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can take all those points. Yes,
1: it's so you—you're the access guy. If anyone follows you on Instagram, at Green Mountain
0: Painters, at Green Mountain Painters.
1: They know that last summer you kind of blew up with your lift porn. and there's there's more where that that came from this summer, starting about a month.
0: Um, April eighteenth.
1: How many lifts does your company own slash rent
0: all year? We own five. Mm-hmm. Um, we just nailed down a six uh, big lift to mm-hmm. rent for the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, we usually circulate rentals in and out for the bigger. Projects. So at any given time, we should have minimum five lifts operating, mm-hmm. um, sometimes six, seven lifts operating.
1: And, okay, let's create a ratio of, like, reasonably trained
0: painters to lifts now. Um, ideally, you want an ideal ratio or what we're running? Both. So ideal ratio would be one to one. We're running, you know, like 1.5 to one. Okay. You know, we've okay. got at any given time, uh, you know, seven-ish painters active, mm-hmm. maybe eight. Um, if you're counting uh, just the ones who are actively painting, not me, mm-hmm. because I'm not painting all the time, not uh, our two carpenters, you know, who, who use lists for some stuff, but um, most raw on houses is down low.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, you know, they're not using the lifts all the time. So usually it's primarily the painters using the lift and we usually have, you know, seven or eight painters, seven painters-ish mm-hmm. active at any one time. So, okay. ideally we'd have seven lifts.
1: And that, so that ratio is unique, but it's part of the secret sauce. And, you know, you have very strong opinions about, you know, access. paint company Access. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to, yeah. you know, condense your manifesto?
0: Condense the manifesto? Yeah. Uh, well, it was said we, um... My partner and I, uh, in a meeting a couple, several years ago when we were first cracking the lift nut, Mm -hmm. so to speak, um, I think the phrase that was uttered was something like we're an access company now, not a painting company. Yes. And when certain customers now, yes, we do get our fair share of, you know, raised ranches that come across the desk that don't need a lift. Mm -hmm. Do, Do we put lifts there? Yes. Yes. Um, But anybody who has that specialized project, downtown Burlington, three stories, 20 feet away from the neighbor, Mm -hmm. a weird back dormer that nobody's painted in 50 years. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. We've got a specialized lift that we can tuck in and get set up and, and do a paint job on, on that as if it were ground level work. Mm -hmm. And that's a unique position to be in and that, is uh, in in many ways the service we provide to some of these customers is quality paintwork on stuff that hasn't been able to be quality painted Mm -hmm. in decades because, you know, the last time it was painted well was when painters were making, you know, $1.50 an hour and you could afford (laughs) to pay somebody to erect a bunch of wooden scaffolding and climb up and paint a dormer. Mm And now that would be infeasibly expensive. So nobody paints those places. Yes. And uh, if you can put a $100,000 piece of equipment there, it now costs pennies on the dollar to paint that Mm -hmm. stuff. So you have this barrier still, Mm -hmm. but that barrier can be spread out, you know, so. um, But that's why it's important to understand sometimes it's not about the time that you spend painting something if it's hard to access. Of course, any exterior painter knows the access. Is what defines an exterior estimate.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, It doesn't matter how big or small the house is. You know, uh, any house of any given size can cost X or X times ten, depending on, and if it's the same exact house, uh, depending on if it's uh, you know perched precariously on the side of a mountain or in the middle of a big field.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So um, the uh, the power of access and like what it does to a company that specializes in exterior painting or really any trade is uh, any trade that deals with outside stuff yes um it's something that doesn't get enough uh recognition i think sometimes when you put it like that it sounds so common
1: sense right like bring the ground to whatever level Mm-hmm. everyone's more comfortable there, the better work gets done, just the, the way you can physically brace yourself and do the best kind of safe quality work is just a different animal based on, compared to a ladder. If a ladder is even possible in some situations, right. it is always less safe, yeah. just at a different scale. Right. Um, the difference is, I think no one would disagree with these statements, right? Um, but also, I don't know another company that has that kind of real slash ideal lift-to-human ratio, right? Just because of these massive investments, relatively massive investments Mm -hmm. there. You know, $100,000 for a lift. Like, you know, Bjorn, a job well done. Another local guy, he has one, right? Like, does
0: anyone else have one around here? You know, we rent them occasionally. There's some older... There's some companies with older, uh, you know, like Genie... S40s and stuff that they've pulled out of the rental fleets. But sure. you know yes. Those are so-so solutions. And yeah. you know, I think that's one of the reasons that not many people use lifts is, you know, a lift isn't necessarily just a lift. With On commercial jobs, a lift's a lift. Mm-hmm. But on a residential job, you can't just drop a, you know, a Genie S65 in the front yard of somebody's house that's out on Golf Course Road mm-hmm. and then drive it around back. And think that that's going to work, even though that machine is a phenomenal machine Mm -hmm. with great access potential, you need a site that can support it. Yeah. And so a big problem with lifts, I think, in the residential trades is that when most people think of lifts, they think of those big, uh, heavy 24 to 45,000 pound genie booms or JLGs. Mm-hmm. They're like, I could never, I have to pay somebody to haul it around. I got to do this. I got to do that. And it's just not worth it. And yeah. How do you go out back? Yeah. Well, that's where, you know, the lifts we own are the, you know, lightweight, outriggered, um, self-drive. Look, tractor, narrow, small. Like, yeah. They can fit through a, a wide gate in the yeah. backyard. Yeah. And then
1: get up and over their deck.
0: Uh-huh. And we have them in, you know, we have five and they're, they're all different. And they all have different strengths and weaknesses and they um, uh, they all can do a different job. And so that's kind of the, you know, if you talk about when I talk about cracking the lift nut um, that was a big part of it for our company was understanding that like no, no lift that's on the market right now will do the job. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the limiting, if somebody thinks about what if I put a lift here it, a lot uh, and whether or not it's going to be good, a lot of that, depends on what kind of lift they're imagining putting there
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so um if you have access to a variety of lift types and capabilities then you can match your lift to the project and it becomes uh Mm -hmm. it basically just kind of breaks the whole system sure you just you get all this free action Mm -hmm. so to speak
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so
1: and so again thinking back to that like know one of the many reasons what you do is unique and how you do it you hit the ground running in April and part part of that nut that you cracked is access is solved for you guys you have to do a ton of production in a strong half of the year and that's that's a key to it is having immense access benefits over your average painter who spends the winter inside and then comes straps a bunch of extension ladders to the van and gets going and you also another thing that you've said in the past that I like is you see lifts as employee retention and like a benefit to your employees absolutely talk
0: about that I mean it's it can't be said more simply or plainly Mm -hmm. Um, I think that our use of lifts uh, you know we're stuck in we're let's back up a quick sec Mm -hmm. Um, we started to talk about my company it's seasonal right Mm -hmm. and we have a motto of sort of being, we have a lot of mottos, but one of them is sustainably seasonal. Mm-hmm. Right. And because we recognize the importance of retention, especially when you're doing high skill stuff. Yep. Cause you don't have the first half of the summer to train the college kids and have yeah. a new flock. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's that a difficult, like that's a That's, that's a difficult way to run a company anyway,
3: mm-hmm.
0: which you and I were talking about, uh, before, um, Where in northern climates, when busy season, everybody has the same cycle. Slow in the winter, crazy in the summer. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs their outside painting done. And since it can only be done six months of the year, it all has to be done then. But there's not enough labor. And so what do you do? You hire this flock of college kids or this flock of high school kids Mm -hmm. or whoever you can gather together. Mm -hmm. You try to teach them how to paint. You're unproductive for two or three months. Then you have a really good... July yeah. uh, or no sorry really good August September and then they're gone well yeah. really good late July and August if you've got college students because yeah. they're back in middle of August mm-hmm. usually mm-hmm. Um, so you have to make all of your production all your money in like a month so and we'll it just come, is, back. And then we'll come back And a full second season yeah so it's, you've got your that's template. the model yeah. yeah and it's rough and I did this for uh, you know well over a decade mm-hmm. and looking back on it it's almost cringy realizing that you know having a second year college kid be a a beating heart of your production machine is a rough spot to be. Yes. Not no disparaging them, but there's only so much you can learn in a single, in, you know, in a single summer of learning and then you show up for a second year. And if you're relying on that kind of employee to run your production, Mm -hmm. um, that's hard. And so multi-year retention, uh, for seasonal employees is critical
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and how do you how do you set that up yes it's a, it's a tough thing to um it's a tough thing to solve and for us circling back around mm-hmm. lifts definitely play a big role in that um in order to be sustainable you have to have the job not break you yes and working exterior painting off ladders breaks bodies it does it's Indisputable. It's really hard on the body. You can do it infinitely in your 20s. Mm-hmm. In your 30s, you start to feel it. And by the time you're in your 40s, you probably shouldn't be doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it the traditional way. Yep. It's just really bad for your body. Mm-hmm. And um, if we are going to be attracting people who can see themselves doing this as a career, you can't show them a career that's almost guaranteed to break their body. Because yep. they won't stick around. Yep um so we look for ways to show people they can do this year over year mm-hmm. and not have negative effects mm-hmm. on their lifestyles or their health yep um so safety you know that's part of a bigger conversation about just like safety in the trades
2: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, common sense safety and uh thinking about the well-being of your people in general um but
1: its one one comparison I've drawn when you talk about lifts mm-hmm. is like remember how ten years ago if you had like Festool dustless sanding you'd show up yeah. on jobs and be like oh wow, look at him yeah wow, wow. it's yeah. Been, now it's an industry standard yeah anybody who's worth anything
0: and like is, with the new silica like I don't know how new they are now it's not a huge doesn't play a huge role in our um, industry yet I don't I mean it's it's coming up but. Um, I've heard a lot about the silica standards that mm. uh, are going to make things really hard. Interesting.
1: Yeah. That Let's, really let's, that. let's pin that one. Yeah.
0: But like the way dustless sanding
1: yeah. is just a thing you do now. Yeah. It, it feels like you, you might be on a new wave of seeing lifts and access and standards in that as like a basic common sense standard. Yeah. And now the, again, the price point is much different festival vacuum and sanders versus these lifts, but yeah. like, again, just conceptually, the way you look at it, it yeah. is so common sense and you can't argue it. Yeah. Um, I
0: mean, there's a lot of logistical, you know, a, a Festival sander packs up nicely. And, of course. And yeah. it fits in the van. Yep. Um, it's expensive, sort of, but not really expensive. And, um, you know, there's some productivity loss dragging around a vacuum mm-hmm. in a hose, but less clean it's enough. really yeah. low barrier. Yep. And lifts are high barrier. Yes. And, um, you know, that is a problem, but I also share, you know, I mean, you've talked with me enough, you know, that I am, uh, I, I believe strongly that it should be a sea change in Mm -hmm. the trades. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, you don't have to look, you know, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent. Well, we do a little bit of commercial, but we are a residential company.
2: Yeah.
0: Part of, you know, part of the core of our company is customer experience, um, Almost on, at almost level with our painting skill and our access skill is, is making sure customers have a good experience. And that's really, you know, that's a residential trade mm-hmm. company. A lot of residential trade companies um, only do residential because you need that component, right? And so I don't know a ton about commercial, but driving around town, every commercial job site has multiple lifts. Yep. Any big commercial contractor builds it in there's lifts everywhere mm-hmm. there's equipment everywhere and yes on these big budget jobs it makes sense that they have big budget big budgets for lifts mm-hmm. and they need to get their crews up on these like three four-story apartment buildings and they need to be doing this stuff but that's should be I think that it's showing you know years ago I don't think you would necessarily see that it would have been a lot more scaffolding, sure. Um, or maybe they just weren't building as many high buildings because they didn't, you know. I, I don't. Know. Mm-hmm. But it's basically it's been changing really fast. And you see it on commercial job sites, and I think that it's time for the residential trades to start seeing that kind of change, that kind of access.
1: You know, you're, uh, I was going to go after a Warner ladder sponsorship, but I think you're ruining that one. With this. <laughs>
0: yeah, you don't want to tie your uh, yeah, no, um, <laughs> <tie in. laughs>
1: Yeah, and just going back to that retention piece, like obviously you're doing it for more reasons than, than just this, but like for for each strong producer to basically have a lift dedicated to them. Not like they're getting their own it's not like their paintbrush that stays in their satchel, but like they gotta feel cared about. They gotta feel taken yeah. care of. Yeah. Like that that has to be a big component of it. Um, let's talk personnel too, because again that's that's your year over year retention since you started this
0: this big lift campaign has been pretty high right it's been better than we ever
1: had before yeah. okay so that's that's another thing that we can tie into the uniqueness of our locale because some of those people work in the ski industry you know they they make a relatively high amount of money for you guys work in that field season and then they do other things in the winter yeah like speak to speak to these people are.
0: The so our, our employees are we have a few that work in the ski industry, mm-hmm. which is handy yep. to have that around. Um but for the most part, you know, the core, you know, realistically, you know, we're not a big company. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you look at our company, there's the there's five of us who still mm-hmm. just work. Uh, either, you know, work low hours or are doing company stuff Mm -hmm. in the winter. Um, Then we have a a couple people who do their own thing in the winter, odd jobs, uh, ski bumming, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have a few that work in the ski industry.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And so it's really kind of, you know, because we don't have this huge employee group, it's hard to derive conclusions about what people do in the winter. I think it's uh, part of our whole appeal is you do what you want in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, if people, and we're really, we're kind of building up to, um, the idea of incorporating people into winter work of some kind, mm-hmm. it won't be interior painting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, uh, but we're thinking that, um, you know, we have an employee group that's we've had, we have such amazing retention and they're incredible people and, uh, You know, we may be able to provide them with winter work of some kind, but that's not the point.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Again, backing up, the point is sustainably seasonal. Uh, Ultimately, our goal for any of our employees is to be able to sustain themselves just working when we're operating jobs. Mm -hmm. And if they're a little bit higher level, they obviously have shoulder season work. Um, You know, we can talk a little bit more about what's been happening recently uh, with others in the company working in the winter and and all that stuff. I won't get into it because it'll be a huge veer. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, theoretically, let's talk theoretical staff painter who's been with us for five or six years should be able to punch in like just ready to go Mm -hmm. in the middle of April Mm -hmm. and then say, see in the spring come early November. And theoretically we should be able to provide them with an annual income that supports a standard lifestyle. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's basically the goal of sustainably seasonal and do that while not breaking them. You know, we're not working 60, 70 hour weeks. We shoot for 45 hours Mm -hmm. and And you uh, pay very well. You provide vehicles like you,
1: you throw resources at people.
0: They're the most important thing in the company. Yes is the people. The lifts are, the lifts are really important, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but the people are the Alpha and the Omega. Sure. And f- so it makes sense to spend every bit you can to keep them and keep mm-hmm. them happy. Do
1: you feel like the limited season, you know, the, the, the known end date of early November-ish is also part of the secret sauce there? Because if you're doing the same thing really hard all year, year around, not terribly sustainable there's no break there's no temporary end to yeah. it you know I, I think there might be something to that like diversity of lifestyle where they yeah. know that they push through that season mm-hmm. they fill the coffers and then depending on who they are they might go be a lifty you know they're not getting paid well at that job yeah. but they don't care well, because guys, they love it
0: our guys who work in the ski ski business are, are sick they go make snow all winter mm-hmm. which is insane mm-hmm so I sometimes think that painting is their vacation,
2: just because <laughs> they make their money here.
0: You know, but sure, no, but just the stories are hilarious. Like I don't know why anybody would choose to go make snow, um, but they are special people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for but
1: for those yeah. listening
0: in um, Nevada, what just
1: quick, what does that entail to be a Making snowmaker? Snow. To be a snowmaker in I, Vermont. From
0: what I understand, you work twelve-hour shifts, often overnight you get paid more if you work the overnight 12 Mm -hmm. hours Mm -hmm. and you just go out on a mountain in any weather and you break ice off snow guns and you set them up and you take them down and you expose yourself to all kinds of risk and danger. And, uh, (laughs) so they pay you like a little over minimum wage and they give you a free ski pass and it's, that's just how the industry works. It's amazing. So
1: yeah, doing, you know, lead jobs on a lift for you might actually feel easier than
0: that. It, it, Like the day-to-day, but there's a mystique about snowmaking. See, that's that's, that's why I said these people are special. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I, I mean that pot, like, you know, in deer and in many yeah. ways. But yeah. it's just, it takes a special kind of person to
1: do that. But <laughs> I mean, the temperatures that you get during the day in February on a Vermont mountain can sometimes be unbearable. Yeah, and to need to go out and do that in the middle of the night regardless of condition it's, it's exposed no, it's, to like
0: liquid water and snow guns and machine guns no, yeah, yeah.
1: The, you know for again a lot for the desert people out there yeah. you know there are these giant pipes going up these insane mountains that yeah. we have and to go up and service that yeah you know it's funny I've just sat on chairlifts and gone past all those I've never Given too much thought to who's actually doing that and when it happens,
0: but yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's quite the job, yeah. So, but that's the kind of people that work for us, though.
1: You know, kind of extreme,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and, and that that they get a lot out of their work too, yeah. You know, and there's something to be said about that. Mm-hmm. You know, people who can get something out of their work that's not just a paycheck. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, but we also, you know, that's. That's something we try really hard to understand,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then create a company that facilitates that. You know, nobody wants to just come to work and slim paint as a painter. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to come to work and and feel like you're achieving something that has value. Yeah. You know, taking care of somebody's home, mm-hmm. um, using all the right equipment to do it right, and not just, you know. Climbing up a forty-foot ladder and taping a paintbrush to a stick, and <laughs> technically making that last bit of fascia white—that's not. That doesn't feel good. In the hornet's nest up there, yeah, too. <laughs> Just take care of that while you're yeah, up there. No. Yeah. Um, Just dab it with paint. That, that doesn't fine. feel good, yeah. you know. And but it feels really good to be comfortably in a lift basket
2: mm-hmm.
0: with all of your tools and all of the means to do a good job mm-hmm. with. That same bit of fascia yep. at working level, yeah, and you make it really good mm-hmm. and you know it's going to last. That feels good, and I think our employees really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're not risking their lives yep. to get paint on something that's hard to get at, and they're not, uh, not having to compromise the quality of their work because it's hard to get at. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's just one of those things where access and uh, and lifts just make all the difference. It's 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 like a holistic. You know, everything about having a lift on site makes things better mm-hmm. for an exterior painter.
1: Um, talk to mm-hmm. about, you know, we're kind of jumping around, but it's oh, fine. Yeah. The, yeah, there's, yeah, there's so much to get through. It's just going to be, <laughs> hey, I'm, and I I'm right there, too. <laughs> yeah. No, this, this is a me thing. There's just so much. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the silos in your company, um, because the way you, you've had responsibilities and kind of departments... Segregated is interesting, and that's also blended over the past six months, really. So, let's a year ago, what did it look like, and then we'll kind of talk about
0: how it morphed. Yeah, a year ago, I mean, we couldn't be more different today Mm -hmm. than we were a year ago. I mean, we could be, we could be an interior painter, but um, the we were highly siloed Mm -hmm. for years. Um, my partner more or less. Uh, became highly specialized at handling any RRP, lead-based stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would, you know, he would be in charge of kind of getting those done. Um, I, being me, would do all the weird, we called them special projects, but you refer to them as stain grade mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes and the stuff that almost yeah. no one else None is capable or willing to touch. and the stuff that actually you know takes you know the stuff that takes uh, an immense amount of brain power to try to do right, mm-hmm. even if there's no way to actually get it done yep. nicely. So yep. I would ha- I became more and more uh, siloed into that type of work, mm-hmm. and then uh, sort of just sustaining the size of our company, we had other managers who uh, I don't want to say like we just you know, put the vanilla stuff, but you know, we'd have a manager who we trust to take two guys and paint house, mm-hmm. you know, just the uh, paint grade average neighborhood house. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we'd all still be doing, this wasn't like a rigid silo system, but like, we became extremely siloed, uh, in, in terms of like who did what and how, uh, kind of how things went. And it got to a point where, you know, some of our guys just wouldn't even see each other for a whole month or Mm -hmm. more, you know, because you just been working on, Oh, you know, like so-and-so has been working on Tyler's crew for the last month Mm -hmm. and, you know, so and so's working on that crew. And, um, that was just the work. That's just the production end. Mm -hmm. Um, the, uh, the rest of it, like running the company was basically just all my silo. Yeah, you're um, the big systems guy. You're the, the, yeah. you're the systems well, architect. Systems like,
1: yeah. We've been through we've iterated systems through years. And yeah, and I especially and want to talk about the difference in the past year. But like to go back to the silo thing, you're 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 also relatively top heavy yes. compared to, you know, I think kind of that like the PCA industry standard kind of yeah. way of thinking about it is like once you get four or five people, you can technically out, take yourself yeah. out of the field and you get four or five more and then you hire a production manager and right. you get two more and then you get an estimator. And it's all based in the 55 an hour industry. Right. Like we
0: know that blueprint and you don't do it that way. No, and, like, even, even in the past, we haven't done it that way. And that's where, you know, I talk about being highly siloed, but not rigidly siloed. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what you said. Like, we're you know, we're top heavy. Like, we'd have, we never had, you know, back when we were doing the the grinding, hiring a bunch of college kids and doing it, you know, we'd have 15, 16, 17 people mm-hmm. running around in the summer. And Sounds like chaos. Oh, just yeah. terrible, terrible. And so, for the last, like, five or six years, you know, we've been a much smaller company, like 10 people-ish. Mm-hmm. And of which literally, at any given time, like six of them are managers. Mm -hmm. So how do you run a company with six managers and four staff painters, Mm -hmm. right? Well, the managers paint a lot, in fact, they're like the core of your production team, Mm -hmm. but they're also in charge. And so that, that creates this silo, like each manager kind of has this thing. You know, we had a manager who was like, who just was good at handling condo work because he just had a good good head for site management, keeping things tidy, talking to all the different people, mm-hmm. dealing with all the crazies you get in condos, <laughs> all that stuff. And he did all the condo work and it was lower margin yeah. and he could use our cheaper people because back then we, we had cheap people and expensive people and uh, instead of just all expensive people, you mm-hmm. know? So he could take cheaper people and go into condos and do perfectly good work and manage it and that was like a silo, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, he could still come and paint anything else with us or he would end up on, on other work wherever we needed him. And, uh, you know, that's a reasonable way to run a painting company if you've got that core brain trust. You know, if there's four or five people who just all are on the same page mm-hmm. and you all are running almost like a little mini painting company, mm-hmm. each within the same painting company, that's, you know, that's like a siloed company that more or less works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are able to live our lives and make an income, right? Yeah. But it wasn't necessarily end game. It's not really a good feeling to be running a company because if you lose a piece of that silo, it's like a huge loss. Yeah, There's nothing to yes. take its, its place. Risk. It's a risk. Yeah. So um, I don't know if there's a way to fully de-silo workloads if you're doing wildly different work. Like Nobody in my company is prepared to do a really complicated, uh, you know, sickens job. Yes. Yeah. I, that would be me. Yeah. I would have to just head that up. I'd have to plan. But I mean, we have almost anybody in my company could physically do the work, but I would have to be involved in terms of making sure things were Mm -hmm. on track. Right. Mm -hmm. And likewise, almost nobody in the company would be able to facilitate an RRP project as well as my partner can. Yeah. Even though anybody in the company could show up and do that work. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. um, there's, we're still going to have that silo. There's no way to really extract, uh, you know, there's no way to extrapolate that, but you can, um, there's got to be a balance between specialization within a company and um, and making sure you don't just fall into that fully separate.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I, you've, you've acknowledged the potential downsides there, but I think, again, just that you're all – having everyone have – not everyone, but having more people have a higher degree of ownership mm-hmm. – in this model seems like also part of the secret sauce where yeah. like there's way more buy-in and ownership right. in a world where, you know, in other companies, you know, kind of middle manager type, if we can draw a rough comparison there, might not have the same level of buy-in, Yeah, but your people do, it seems.
0: Yeah. It takes a lot to get people there. Yeah, um, Some people snap right into that role. Mm-hmm. Um, other people really have trouble, even if you present them with, And uh, if you present them with the concept of, hey, we really value you. We want you to take ownership of this job. Consider yourself a a true team member. And we all work for the same common end goal. Mm -hmm. You know, some people just hear corporate jargon. It's like, oh, join the team, join the family, you know. Um, And they're just like, yeah, whatever. Just you know, I put in my hours, you pay me. And it's hard to separate that because people are conditioned to behave that way because, uh, you know, working for a corporation or something it is, you're just a, you're a cog or a widget and, mm-hmm. or you know, you're know, you just a piece of the machine and you, you get your pay package from HR and that's what you get. Mm-hmm. And you get your job description and you have no incentive to do anything outside your job description. It's it's hard to break people of that if that's their mindset. <sighs> mm-hmm. And we have we have some people who we've you know had to work t- you know who've who've taken longer to come around. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got some people who just snap right in and take ownership and are like, yeah, huh, let's do yeah, this. Like Mitch, right? Oh yeah, like, Mitch. You, like one yeah. of
1: your more recent hires that was a recurring college kid. Yeah. Right. Is yeah. He worked for us. Uh, while yeah. he was in college, so kind of we... groomed him, but then he came from the corporate environment, right? And yeah, he. He sees it. He is. He's, yeah. He is thinking owner level about what yes. you guys do. And yeah, I've only yes. met him once or twice, and that's very apparent and yeah. very impressive. And, uh, so you are poaching from the corporate pool, and he he could have he has the brains and charisma to go be climbing a corporate ladder.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, but he, he doesn't wants, want to. Yeah. He wants
1: to work for you. Yeah. That's again, that is some secret sauce in what you've created that you get the mitches of the world. Yeah, most painting it's, companies can't hire a Mitch, and get them <laughs> excited, and have buy-in. Well,
0: you just got to yeah. I mean, right? It's,
1: like that's just a fact.
0: It's it's true. You got a Mitch. It's uh, you know, y- yeah. You have to build the. You have to build this again. You have to uh, present the environment in which somebody like that can thrive, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it it can be difficult. It can be difficult to, to build that environment, especially in a different market, you know, and I I feel like it, this is pretty decent gear shift, but I feel like especially in the context of like hiring Mitch mm-hmm. or hiring people like that, mm-hmm. um, our market in many ways enables that because the, the amount of money you have to and want to pay somebody like that mm-hmm. um, is, is very high. Yes. And the only way to be able to make enough money to pay somebody and really all of our people, you know, our, our goal is to pay our people. And this is, we don't, it's no, no baloney, no nothing. Like we literally pay our employee group as much as the company can bear. Mm -hmm. We don't really have set pay rate. You know, we have what people make per hour, Mm -hmm. but that's only, that's only like to get the weekly paycheck what people ultimately get paid is ultimately um, decided by how much money the company makes. And then we just pay people more money at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we look at how much money the company made that year and we figure out how much we have to keep, to keep buying lifts and keep, you know, the warehouse and, you know, the basic stuff. And then we literally put all of the rest of the money uh, just pay it pay it to the employees mm-hmm. and that's in many ways how employees can afford to make it through the winter mm-hmm. is by getting that that boost you know at the end and even though our hourly is high mm-hmm. um, it's not high enough to make up for a whole year's income and so sure. really if, we're in a high-cost living place yeah, yeah. we're in a high-cost living place so even a high hourly if you're only doing six and a half months mm-hmm. isn't enough to you know even though it's more than double minimum wage, but nobody can live on minimum wage. So even working half time at double minimum wage isn't enough money. So you have to be making more money. And so, um, you know, you can call it bonuses, but I just think of it as the money that we pay our people. Um, and that's why they come back.
1: You can hit the ground running in the spring. Yeah. You know, sure. And that's, that is money so well spent because Mm -hmm. what is your alternative? We already outlined it, right? It's, quasi-productive college kids who mean well but just are only quasi-productive yeah um and that's
0: that's a clear choice yeah that is a clear choice yeah and uh you know and another thing is you know you you can't you can't really put a fresh seasonal person in a lift either right so we kind of you know we become beholden to making sure we have retention um you could you can you can train somebody up for lift work but mm-hmm. then if they don't know how to paint if they're not like a really great painter you're you know you're kind of like wasting lift time yeah so, it's not a good pairing right it's not a good yeah. like seasonal labor and not that you should but you can just have massive amounts of seasonal labor running up and down ladders if the labor's cheap enough mm-hmm. you can do anything with ladders mm-hmm. i would you know being the as biased as i am i I think that's, that shouldn't be done. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, people think lists are dangerous, and they're dangerous only because they're big and heavy and can do a lot of damage. But on a day-to-day, I uh, it might be some work to get the industry to think the way I think about lists. Um, that's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's like you're trading... It's like the stepladder... Uh, conundrum with ladders, right? The most dangerous ladder on a job site is a stepladder. Mm, mm-hmm. I've heard that hundreds of times. I believe it. I can't really cite any research sources, but it's convenient to, to use that stat, so I'm just going to say. I agree with it. A yeah. uh, stepladder is the most dangerous ladder on a job site, even if you have a 40-foot ladder, mm-hmm. because almost, like nobody's ever, and even in our own company, knock on wood, hopefully since we don't use 40 foot ladders anymore it won't ever happen but nobody's ever gotten hurt on a 40 foot ladder in our company mm-hmm. but we've had people get hurt on step ladders we've had people get hurt on on uh, the step benches yes because it, those are probably even more dangerous than a step ladder you don't lock those
1: <laughs> things in with oh my stops. god and you're just down and... the, i've had <laughs> zero incidents on extension ladders myself a job site yeah. i've had multiple on step ladders yep. and i think the biggest thing is Say so you've got a four and a six and an eight on a ranch just doing different things. Yeah. And you start to get, you know, up, spray us off it down, spray us off. Down. You start to get conditioned to a certain amount of steps down before you start walking. The mm-hmm. worst fall I've ever had was coming down an eight that I thought was a six. It, uh, and I walked geez. off it a little early. And there was a maybe two to three foot porch behind me. And I fell. And I crumpled up, like, my neck okay. in the corner of it. But if I... If I fell an extra six inches, that would have just
0: cracked
1: the underside of the back of my
0: head. Lights out.
1: And that's, like, that's one of those things where, like, yeah, it's, like, some people don't wake up from those. Right. Most people do. Some don't. So. Because I was moving fast and not counting steps. Right. Like, 100% agree with that.
0: Yeah. But then to continue, to continue the the concept Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. is you didn't die. Yep. But if that was a 40-foot ladder you fell off the top of, you probably would have died. Probably. Right. Yeah. So that's the thing is even though you're wildly less likely to actually have an incident on a 40-foot ladder than a stepladder, mm-hmm. the consequences are way higher. And I think yeah. in that sort of, in some ways, extends to lifts. Except for I think it's even less likely that you're going to have an accident. in a li- And again, I'm speaking about the lifts that we use. Mm-hmm the, you get into the big, bigger 65, 85 foot lifts. Those things are extraordinarily dangerous. Mm -hmm. You need to have training. You need to have all, you know, I would advocate for extreme caution, Mm -hmm. right? And not that the lifts we use aren't dangerous, but smaller, a little more compact stationary, Mm -hmm. you know, not being able to drive it around while you're 60 feet in the air is pretty solid from a safety standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not that they're not dangerous. It's that the odds of an accident happening are, even lower than like a 40-foot ladder Mm -hmm. and but you have the same problem whereas if you actually do have an accident in one of those lifts it could be very high consequence. So there's some work to be done there in terms of the industry dialing that back because I think that that uh, you know that the understanding which is true that even though you're less likely to get hurt in a lift you could like the consequences would be so bad that it's just a dangerous machine. It's like I believe you can make a lift. And you can operate a lift with ba- you know basic training if it's the right kind of lift and used in the right way, it can be the most safe way to access anything, even adjusted for consequence of uh, you know an error or an accident. So you know we got some work to do there yeah. uh, because I think that's another barrier to putting lifts on residential sites. But um, that was a nice aside. What were you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> It was a good, good yeah. discussion. But. Yeah, no,
1: it went good places. I think part of the reason it can be perceived as dangerous from less of a personal safety and a property destruction standpoint is because I'm sure there have been a lot of contractors who kind of lose track of right and left in the joystick relative to the yeah, base and, and, just, and it just put it through a big picture window. Yeah. And it's like, I bet there's a lot more incidents. Like I think it's easier. Actually, I don't know. This is a feeling. But like relative to a ladder, sure, you might lose control on the way down and drop it somewhere. Usually that lands in the yard though, Mm -hmm. but one rotation off if you're in a tight situation. those things are powerful enough to smash right through a
0: window. Keep in mind that uh, the way that, you know, when, when when are residential contractors using lifts right now? It's when they've got the thing that's 40 feet up and 30 feet out up and over a patio or some sunroom addition and it it was difficult to put a lift there and it's difficult and so they're using lifts in situations where they're usually maximizing the capabilities of the lift which amplifies the risk of something going wrong like you said you you know if you're only 10 feet away from the lift and you accidentally go left instead of right it's zero consequence if you're out at the end of a 65 foot boom Mm -hmm. fully extended and you jam that lever left when you meant to go right the consequence is much higher yeah. and so right now you know people's experience with lifts are when they're in a situation that needs a lift mm. and situations that need lift need lifts are dangerous mm. and a big part of what i talk about with lifts are that um yes you need lifts for situations you need lifts obviously mm-hmm. i mean the industry's accepted that yeah that's why rental yards exist yeah so the contractors can go rent a big, dumb lift when they've got something that's way up and way out yes. that they need to get at, it's, right? It's
1: not integrated in the day-to-day, they it's don't have not, the muscle memory.
0: Right. And so not only do you have people who are doing extremely dangerous things with big dangerous machines, but they're not doing it very often Mm -hmm. and there's no training requirements. Yeah. You don't get a license. You don't need to have a license to to rent a 85 foot boom lift. You need a credit card. Yeah. Yeah. I I will. I constantly am like, it's
1: amazing the low barrier for me to get this amazingly powerful expensive machine. Yeah.
0: And I mean, technically they'll be like, yeah, I mean, you're agreeing that you are trained on this or that you're a competent person, but yeah. Uh, that's just an insurance thing. Yeah. Like that's not a, your life and body no. care. No. They, like they don't care. Nope. They just want their, you know, 1500 bucks for the week. Mm-hmm. Take this big machine and go do your thing. And, um, it's just the fact that that's how you, lifts are used. It's, it's, that's why there's a, that's why people are like, Oh, I couldn't buy a lift
2: mm-hmm.
0: because the only experience people have with lifts are using them on these highly specialized, difficult things they are expensive. They're hard to get in there. They're dangerous. Mhm. They never quite figure out the controls. Yeah. So they put it through a window, and they're like, "I'm done with lifts." Sure. You know, and sure. uh, insurance goes up too much. Nobody's paint. ever painted a porch ceiling. Like, like, paint a porch ceiling. It's paint a porch ceiling with a roof, or or sorry, paint a porch ceiling with a lift. Yes. And then come talk to me about know how awesome that was compared to like moving a step ladder around. I will say so. <laughs> when we were working at Tatiana's. Yeah. In
1: December, there were some warm days, and we sat on our porch that you painted, and we were looking up at the crisp line that no painter would have done that well. On, like an <laughs> in inside of a porch oh. uh, from a <laughs> step right. ladder. I was sitting there with Bender. I was like, I bet they did that from a lift. I guarantee <laughs> you. That is so straight. That is obscenely straight. And she was like, rolling her eyes. But I was like, he did this from a lift. I know. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yes. No. There
0: was a lift out there. was a there. beautiful job. I mean, we had two lifts on that site, so. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. probably got done with a lift.
1: I Anything
0: that... that Anything that was stepladder or higher probably got done with a lift. Mm -hmm. And the only time we really use stepladders is if, you know, there's like a tree in the way or, you know, if you just Mm -hmm. can't get there with a lift, which does happen when you're trying to do everything with a lift. Sure. But um, let's, were
1: you done with that point? Yeah. Okay. So another interesting thing about your business. um,
0: (laughs) Whatever point we were talking about at the moment. Point, yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, A lot of, Contractors talk about, you know, they are not, they're production limited more than sales limited. A lot of people are like, I can sell 8 million and produce 2 million. And they're like, that's the big talk of the town. And last year when we started talking around this time, you were the opposite because your production machine was was pretty healthy. You have all these great people coming back to, to work on these sweet lifts and you were weeks behind or, you know, weeks, booking out weeks for your estimation schedule, and you were you were sales constrained. Fast forward to, you know, two hours ago, we were sitting on my couch, and you were showing me this software miracle that you've created. You have built an app. You've built an actual app in the app store that is just for your employees, right? This isn't for anyone else to use, but you, right. you have an app. You have a sales process. You have this thing, and you—I don't know if you're comfortable talking about how much you've sold and how much you've done of that relative to last season. But yeah. getting to know you last year and where you were at versus what you've built in the hundreds of hours over this past winter that it's taken—like, where do we even start there? Do, do, I don't know. Like, but we can <laughs> start.
0: We'll start back with last year. Yeah, I did want to want to clarify Please the uh, the bottleneck there. Yes. What was the bottleneck? Because it's really important to understand. So. The bottleneck really was in um, my ability to balance uh, all of the field, you know, when you're an owner-operator, it's always a balance between estimating, you know, how much time do you spend selling projects and how much time do you spend actually painting, Yep. right? And we had a lot of various projects going on uh, last spring. I, um, on on top of that, for years, my estimating system... Had been getting harder and harder for me to use myself. Um, it's a fully customized estimating system. I do it and uh, I did it in you know I built an estimate form from scratch kind of in like publisher mm-hmm. you know and uh, I was finding that I, I really wanted to be able to present estimates in a different way mm-hmm. but I didn't have time to like do a whole new estimating software so estimates trying to trying to shoehorn what I wanted to do as far as providing a a working estimate and something that could even be used as a work order and squeezing it into the format that I had made for myself that I had been using for literally like 12 years mm-hmm. was getting increasingly difficult to the point where it was causing me to you know get a call go out look at an awesome house Think, you know, come up in my brain with this phenomenal, great plan of action. Mm -hmm. And then I'd have no way of clearly communicating that through my existing estimate format. Mm. So what was happening is I just wouldn't finish estimates. Mm. And, you know, I would finish them only as needed. And, um, you know, just to keep the bookings rolling in and stuff. And so the constraint wasn't really so much, you know, just to be clear, wasn't really so much about the number of calls coming in or the amount of estimating I could have been doing. Mm -hmm. It was really a personal problem. Sure. You know, which segues nicely into like, what what do you do about it? Because even if it was a personal problem and not a function of the market or, you know, oh, we've got this amazing – because it wasn't necessarily that we had – we didn't have excess – uh, production compa- capability, mm-hmm. because um, you know production. I just to be clear, s- is still like it's the limiting factor. Still, sure. I I, I was drawing comparison I think I know more like, yeah. as like it, it's
1: not at the same scale,
0: right? Right. Yeah. So um, the real problem there was just uh, not being able to find the brain space or the time to produce the estimates I wanted to be producing, and that was really constraining. So. Um, and I'm the, it, it was, it was all being one on you. person yeah yes. that's the thing is uh, f- ever since the start of the company I would have been the only sales person sales and estimating person mm-hmm. customer service point I did all the scheduling uh, basically ran the entire um, workflow uh, from sales through production and then the rest of the company was developed enough to where uh, it's really really good machine as far as once a pro once you know, trailer was on site and the homeowners all up to speed, you know, my partner, the amazing employees mm-hmm. just, yeah, sure. Production yeah. is great. Yeah. You know, and, and that wasn't, an it was, there. was yeah. less. So I did, yeah, we had this volatile. great production machine, but what more so than, you know, was limiting growth or whatever. It was more just like, what was the pain in my butt? Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily production because we had a great company and great employees mm-hmm. But estimating was just killing me. Yeah. And and dealing with the volume of calls. See, that that's the other thing. And yeah. the phone rings 25, 35, 45 times a week. Yeah. And you know you can only help like three of those people. Yeah. How do you what sit do you do? through it? What do you do? You lose yourself. You're one of
1: the more mature companies in our market in terms yeah. of duration, web presence, all that. So you get a lot of calls. So, yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, So, yeah, I was kind of um, uh, certain that I needed to fix that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been certain for years, but I finally did something about it in the fall. And, um, you know, I've revisited the world of, uh, you know, technology mm-hmm. as it pertains to running a business. You know, we were running a lot of systems that I'd been running for over a decade. You know, I'd upgraded our website over the years, keep it current. But, you know, we were still using, like I said, a, uh, Hard like just a built from scratch publisher document
2: mm.
0: where I'm like clicking on text boxes to super to slow do, and efficient, super slow yeah. and efficient, uh, highly customizable, but but still extraordinarily limited. Um, it's limited to one page. Mm-hmm. Each section, like the prep section, is only like a third of the page. Mm. So if I really need to describe a process, I all of a sudden I'm like, okay, is uh, font size eight okay? Yeah you know, and it's, and then I'm sending these to people and terrible. So too many decisions, too many. And then it just doesn't translate well. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm the,
2: uh,
0: the idea was just, uh, um, it was time for our company to, um, kind of decentralized the sales and estimating mm-hmm. and because you have it. these high level people
1: yeah. with ownership with stakes mm-hmm. they're capable of. they, they yep. know and they what, want to yeah too.
0: you know they're, yeah. they're like well, let's do it and we our discussions in the past of how do we how do we spread that around mm-hmm. and we'd always come up with excuses even not just me but everybody would be like well you know i don't know how we you know there's so many things that when one person this might be you know this is this is a problem that i had for a long long time and i guarantee almost every other painting company will go through it where the owner the principal whoever has been doing it forever as well as the people who are working with that person don't see a way to do it differently sure because you're like well what about um you know if 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 Like I have to do the schedule, like somebody has to do the scheduling. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, if I didn't do the estimate, how do I know what the house needs? Yes. How do I know what the homeowner has asked for? All of that stuff that goes into doing the on-site consultation with the homeowner, you know, puts into my brain what's needed for that job. So if they sign up, I just move them to the booked folder and then... You know, as I work through the summer, I can look through the book folder and I just see what each, you know, I'm like, oh, that guy, I'm pretty sure they didn't need to go till then and this and that. And since it's all in my brain, I can just move things to the schedule, Mm -hmm. line stuff up. But if you started to have multiple people doing estimates, you almost can't do that without some kind of infrastructure in place to then facilitate those sales onto an effective schedule, Mm -hmm. especially when you're moving around specialized equipment and lifts, you know, As we were gearing up the lifts, it almost looked like it was going to be harder and harder for us to separate the single point of contact. Mm. Because how do you know what lift has to go where? Yes. You know, for the last three or four years, as we've been ramping up our lift ownership, it's just been me remembering where all the lifts are and where they need to go and just moving them around. So, I mean, that is... I want to figure out a
1: way to make this come alive in audio form. Because it's like, I just saw the, the, technic, the, the, the app and software-based, as close as you can get to a replica of your brain in software and app form. Because all of that logistical and institutional and historical knowledge that
0: you mm-hmm. have is now vomited out in this beautiful yeah. process. And it's not and a ton of data it's just data that has to work it's decisions. together. decisions uh, yeah it's decisions at certain times and
1: it's I, don't, I feel like there has like i don't know like you should go on ask a painter and walk through the process or something just so people can see mm. this just the start to finish thing like like
0: yeah how do we make this come alive um so it's about it's it, it's like data in order to to, you know zoom out the core of the problem was data availability. Mm-hmm. So, our old system trapped the data in my head, yeah. and I'm a very unreliable person. So I don't know how we made it this far, <laughs> but somehow there's a section of my brain that works well to, uh, you know, look at a folder full of project files, and just dis- you know just remember enough about each job to effectively put it on a schedule, mm-hmm. communicate it all to the people. Uh, a huge part, you know, you, the guy wearing the crown gets all the credit, but uh, everybody in my company just being able to deal, like just being able to take what I put forward and then run with it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a big thing. It's like synergistic. It's almost like they enable it me to just, not, just barely get there mm-hmm. because they're so awesome, right? <laughs> so um, the key is to take that, data that's hidden in my head that's collected in only the way can be collected by visiting the project ahead of time Mm -hmm. doing this but thinking like how i estimate projects is i paint the house in my imagination Mm -hmm. right because square footage doesn't matter on exteriors until you're ready to calculate paint sure it's none of that when you're figuring out how long it takes to paint the outside of a house square footage is like a footnote Mm -hmm. and uh because there's so many other so I've painted the house already Mm -hmm. it's done Mm -hmm. before I even send the estimate out and then so that builds in my head all of these data points that now live just in my head but then that comes in really handy when it's time to schedule and actually execute project. Mm -hmm. so the question is how do we get all that data that gets generated by site visit and estimate making and make it available to the whole company Mm -hmm. so that it's not one guy or the guy because even if I even if I sent some of the guys out to do estimates which they're perfectly capable of If now that data only lives in their head, Mm -hmm. we're going to have a mess when we're trying to execute projects because now nobody even knows where to go to get that information because it could be in any one of three or four heads, Mm -hmm. right? So um, when I was trying to crack it in the fall, um, separating uh, operational data from or, or figuring out a way to easily take that data that gets made on an estimate. And making it available for estimating and then scheduling mm-hmm. uh, without admin work—that was another goal. Yes, because I think you know I touched a little earlier on the hilarious history of our company and written processes. I have binders of SOPs <laughs> collecting dust. Yeah, like I'm talking like two and a half inch thick binders mm-hmm. full of paper that we all looked at in the meeting where I presented them, and then they went in the back seat of a truck. Mm-hmm. And now we're like eight years later, and no, you know, there's like one copy remaining. Yeah, together. like just huge efforts on SOP, paperwork, all the stuff going through multiple iterations of employee manuals, multiple iterations, all this stuff. None of it ever gets used. Why? Every single system that we created created a ton of administrative work mm-hmm. and stuff that each person would have to do with no uh, no consequence to not doing it, mm-hmm. other than. It didn't get done. Yeah. And most we still of the time, houses. most you know? of the
1: time there's no recourse
0: there. Right. No but, recourse. Cause we still, at the end of the day, you just go paint the house. Yeah. It's like, why would I put the safety meeting form mm-hmm. in the file and then put that where it needs to go and then do this and do that and get all everybody to sign off on it when I could just paint the house and we are done. Yes.
1: And as you just showed me in, in okay. So the, let's just big picture funnel. I just want to outline it, you know, so all that. And admi- so when the client makes contact with you for an estimate, there's a lot of automated stuff, you know, that like, That's pretty standard. There's stuff out there that does that. A lot of people can do that. You know, that funnels into a nice estimating software, which, you know, integrates other apps for pictures and this and that. Very good looking proposals. Where that all ends up is the app that you built for your team that is project management. That's where all this data funnels pretty seamlessly. Right. And, you know, to get back to the safety meeting part, you know, you click on that job. You're at that job. If it's an RRP job, there is a checklist about RRP paperwork. There are client sign-off things. Did they get the booklet? You know, there were little yellow and red different banners saying, <laughs> "Did you have the safety <laughs> meeting?" So all of that stuff that was in your brain about when certain things should happen, when these kind of fluffy things that are easy to ignore
0: can, it should happen, is now built into the system.
1: Which it's fantastic.
0: In, but then the, the accessibility is the key. Yes. None of that data, knowing, like having a having a check, having a digitized RRP checklist. Mm-hmm doesn't matter. And I can tell you, it doesn't matter because I've had digitized RRP (laughs) checklist for like five or six years Mm -hmm. and nobody used them because, uh, it all required (laughs) like doing things ahead of time, Mm -hmm. like manually emailing the homeowner, the doc, the, the renovate right pamphlet, Mm -hmm. and then manually emailing them. A docu sign mm-hmm. in order to sign off on the thing. That's all. And all right. doing, whereas what what would actually happen when wheels hit the road is, um, you know, my at the start of a job, my partner would you know grab a pamphlet out of the back of his truck, give it to the homeowner, review it with them, have them sign the pamphlet, he'd take a picture of it for our records, and then throw the you know like leave the pamphlet with the homeowner.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like. Because that was the path of least resistance. So all of this fancy, which, you know, four or five winters ago, I'm like, we're going to take care of this lead stuff way better. Look at all these, you know, this, you know, digital signature stuff. And I spent, you know, dozens of hours, maybe even hundreds of hours doing it. But all it did was create, it just put admin work in the cloud Mm -hmm. rather than, uh, you know, out in physical paper. But then when the wheels hit the road, the physical paper was the path of least resistance. So we reverted to that. And all that work was for nothing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and a big reason for that is because technology wasn't quite there. It required you to be at your computer. Mm-hmm. We're all on phones in the field. The software, the, you know, the signature, the software that we were using didn't really, it was hard to send a file yes. from your phone. It was hard to do that. You know, there was just, there was barriers to the digital, but there wasn't barriers to grabbing the pamphlet out of a truck. Yes. Yep. And so it didn't get used. Yep. And so when I, again... Part of the whole revamp this fall is like anything I make has to be accessible and visible to use. And how you make how you make sure it gets used is you make it necessary to use, mm-hmm. um, but in a good way. Um, you don't make it necessary to do admin work. You make it just you take the things you're already doing, and rather than having that effort go to waste. Like an employee, a good example is like employee hours reporting. Mm-hmm. You know, how we've done it in the past is, you know, at the end of the day, employees are responsible for for reporting their hours. Mm-hmm. And how, the easiest way that we've done it in the past is the employees text them, their punch in, punch out and lunch to the project manager, the project manager then would take that information at some point during the week and hopefully before the end of the week, consolidate it all into the project Excel sheet and put the hours down and then my partner doing payroll would then go into the individual manager sheets, mm-hmm. pull those hours out, consolidate them into our payroll sheet, mm-hmm. verify everything looked okay. Yep. And then he would copy that information into our payroll software. Mm-hmm. And that's like so somebody's hours get put in the employee has to do the admin work of putting in hours, mm-hmm. then the project manager has to do the admin of putting in hours, and then Blake has to put in hours twice. Mm-hmm. He's got to put them into the, our payroll sheet and then he's got to put them into the payroll payroll sheet. Mm-hmm. And my sales and estimating process was the same way. Homer calls, I pick up the phone, mm-hmm. I take down their information, I write their phone number, I take down all their information, right? It's now in ca- Google Calendar yeah. because I'm gonna go do an estimate. After I've gone and done the estimate, I take that information, I put it into the estimate. Mm-hmm. From Google Calendar, I manually put the name into the estimate. Once the estimate's done, if they accept, I then fill out all the different stuff with their name and you know if it's a lead job, like you have to write their name on the lead paperwork if it's you know anything. Like we're just copying it from one system to another yes. over and over again, yes. and uh, that's unnecessary admin work, mm-hmm. and it won't get done. Like if I could just skip putting their name in the estimate because it doesn't have any consequence, why would I do it, mm-hmm. right? Um, But that still has to get done. At some point, that information has to that data has to be made to exist. Yes. And so the key was to that when that the genesis of that data, the key is to then make that data accessible to the rest of your systems, Mm -hmm. so that it so that you're getting rid of all that admin. And um, so that's kind of like you know the underlying concept that I've you know a lot of meetings this winter Mm -hmm. uh, where. It's been openly questioned whether my efforts are worthwhile Mm -hmm. because of all of the miss, you know, swinging and misses in the past with SOPs. Mm -hmm. I'm like, look, guys, this town is going to be different, you know, because you're going to have to use it. Yes. Like, for one thing. And number two, you're going to want to use it because you don't have to do anything. It's like the lift equivalent of software.
1: Yeah. It makes doing the right thing a lot easier. Yeah. It also strikes me, too, like, where. Another unique part of a seasonal business like this is, you know, another business of your size-ish that's going all year round might be able to have, you know, strong part-timer on admin, picking up phones, doing sure. stuff like this. And there's that kind of regular full-time mm-hmm. uh, work to sustain that role. Not in your model, really. It's right. kind, of it, kind yeah. of it goes to the top. In that topic, like, it, and those yeah. responsibilities need to be creatively shared, and this system manages all that yeah. way better than before. Yeah. Um, I had another point too. <laughs> <laughs> I can just keep talking. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, keep doing that while I think <laughs> <you can keep> <laughs> <talking>. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, oh, uh, I found oh, it. I found go, it. Yeah. But it's, I think we should note too, it's, you know, this sounds like we could just be talking about, you know, future benefits in the field. But it's late March right now, and you're already sold through near the end of the summer, and you haven't done most of those estimates, right? You to, like, talk on that. The um, system's sure. already bearing fruit.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, um, that was funny though when you were like, "Look at all the time it's saving." I'm like, "Wow, it hasn't me." He's like, uh, "Yeah, you've yeah. already sold your almost, almost your whole summer, and yeah. how many estimates did you do?" Yeah, yeah. it's true. Um, the uh, the system's working really well, um, and uh, I know it's sounding it's sounding ridiculous that we would be booking that far, but um, I want to uh, kind of touch on that because I know there's a lot of in general there's the chatter about managing your down your your schedule, mm-hmm. and if you're booked out farther than X, mm-hmm. then you're not bidding high enough. Sure, I just yeah, want to really that. be clear, and I think you can confirm this for me. Mm-hmm. Um, if we charged any more, it would, and, and, and I mean that after years and years, I just want to say this carefully because it's very controversial. Sure. You know. Years and years and years, I would say, oh, we can't charge more, it's not fair.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that was completely wrong. Mm-hmm. I was wrong, everybody who says that's wrong, the, mar- the, the price of painting is whatever the market will bear, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Sure. And I I firmly believe that. And I want to be clear that that's my belief. Mm -hmm. That being said, we can't really charge anymore (laughs) or else it wouldn't be fair. Okay. Right now. Mm -hmm. And our estimate hit rate is way too high. Mm -hmm. But if we we know how long it's going to take, we know roughly how long. We're not guessing. I mean, every estimate's a guess. But we're not guessing at how long these projects are roughly going to take. Yeah. And if we charged any more, it, it actually wouldn't be fair. Mm-hmm. We're charging exactly as much as we need to to pay our guys and pay pay seasonal people who work six months. You guys can do – we don't need to talk numbers for people to understand that we're charging enough to afford to own, you know, uh, who knows how much, like hundreds of thousands of dollars of lift hardware, Yeah, a physical location – uh, with warehouse, shop, yard, mm-hmm. everything, mm-hmm. Um, paying ten to thirteen people in a year's income for six months of work, mm-hmm. and uh, bunches of trucks, yeah. bunches of vans, mm-hmm. hardware, hardware, hardware. We are a overhead heavy company. Yes. Part of me, actually, thinking about the long run, is slightly concerned about how heavy, top heavy. Com- overhead heavy
2: mm-hmm.
0: our company is. I used to despair I used to talk such crap about some of the builders around here who run a million dollars of overhead mm-hmm. and build four houses a year. <laughs> and I'm just like, <sighs> yeah, you don't want to pay. You're just paying for all of their stupid overhead. Like sure. you just want to hire somebody who's who cares more about their craft and da da you know, all that stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now here I am running an extraordinarily overhead heavy Painting company, not even a builder. I don't even have that excuse. I'm not even a home builder. I'm a painter, right? And I'm sure. I'm running the overhead of like a of a pretty decent sized builder, mm-hmm. and uh, so we're charging enough. Yeah. Okay. And we still are hitting like ninety percent of our estimates. Yeah. And it's it's weird. The market's very strong here. That has to be understood. Yes. Just in general, as as this conversation continues i think that's an
1: important nuance to add because yes that would be the gut reaction to what you've said yeah that you've sold most of the summer already and i can agree being someone who you know we talked numbers last summer and i think we're you know what we were charging for an exterior was pretty similar in a lot yeah. of ways
0: and our and we're charging probably like 30 40 percent more than even you and i were talking about last year this year good and part of yeah. that is because we did pick up the physical location mm-hmm. you know we picked up uh, you know another 30 forty thousand dollars of overhead mm-hmm. um, we purchased a, another new lift, two new trucks, three new vans yeah you know we, we added tens of thousands of dollars of overhead a year mm-hmm. maybe more a hundred thousand dollars more overhead since last year yeah so obviously we we did the math and we were charging more yeah for our overhead our hourly rate and uh, and the market's bearing that. Yes. Right. And, and so on the one hand, it's like, well, just charge more. It's like, well, at some point, you know, it's like, we're, you know, you're already charging $25,000 to paint that house. And at that point, you know, we'll do it in seven days. And it's a good, it's it in this market, reasonable value for the homeowner. We're, we have the budget to do the job we want to do. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Super pumped. Everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. People are happy to be signing their name. If we were charging $30,000 to paint that house. I'd start to feel a little weird. And they just, would, the
1: client would start to feel less good about. It. I think. Right. I they're think your sure. value prop now yeah. is that like everyone pretty much knows you're the best around for exterior work, and that they're gonna get. They're paying a lot. They're not. They're mm-hmm. not hiring the cheap company by any means, but they feel right. like they got good value there. You might be able to add ten percent more to and these prices, but, yeah. At yeah, a but a we already added ten percent. Yeah, that's like when we started
0: hitting all. The, you know, we we raised prices. Until we no longer could justify according to our cost structure and our aspirational cost structure. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, we've got, you know, it's, it it might sound like we want, we want our guys to be able to buy houses. We had two Mm -hmm. employees who bought houses in this market last year. Not easy. Yeah. They're painters. Not easy. They they paint with us for six months out of the year. And it makes me really proud to think that we can provide a, a, a job. And, and these, these two guys are incredible. Mm -hmm. Incredible human beings. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't want them to be working for me if they couldn't earn enough to be buying a house for their family, you know, like, yeah, it's, that's not how this works. And so, uh, but that being said, you know, we're charging as much as we need to, Mm -hmm. to not just pay for what we've signed up for all the hardware, all the lifts, everything, but also enough to know that if everything goes well, We'll have the money to pay our people what we want to pay them. And we'll have hopefully some money left over to put towards another lift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so like It's you guys' job costs. You keep good data. Mm-hmm. Compared to these
1: industry standards we all hear about, you guys are knocking it out of the park relative to those as far as like hourly revenue, all that stuff. Like, like you know your numbers. These prices are good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, and that that's the thing. And it's, I had about a year and a half Uh, actually maybe like eight months, probably between the time I met you or just before Mm -hmm. and maybe December of last year, Mm -hmm. That was just a solid, like nine, 10 months of man, I was an idiot. We need to charge more. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And like, just in that time span, we just went through this huge where, uh, and, and and, like literally the opinion of like, of, of that that current talking point of if you're booking out X far, you're not charging enough. Mm -hmm. Totally. I drank that Kool-Aid. I'm like, Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like whatever the market will bear, Mm -hmm. um, because that enables you. Sometimes you got to put the money first Mm -hmm. because then having money will enable you to build a better company. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can't go the other way, or sometimes you can't just build a good company yep. and then hope to charge more. Sometimes you just charge a bunch of money, mm-hmm. and then it may feel unfair, like a windfall. But once you've got hundred thousand dollars in the bank, you're like, oh, you know what? I could buy a lift. and now you've got yeah, and now you've got an incredible company. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I was definitely drinking the Kool Aid, and then like just over the, just as things have sort of been playing out the last few months, I'm just like, you know, literally two two or three weeks ago we were 70% booked for the summer Mm -hmm. and uh, we had this discussion in our weekly meeting. Do we need to just charge more to slow this down? Yeah. And the consensus, even among the guys who have for years been hounding me like to charge more, Mm -hmm. I was the only one who was just like, can we charge more? And they were just like, no, yeah, I don't think we can. Yeah. And, um, You know, that might just be, you know, ethics or morals getting in the way of reaping a windfall from a cornered market. But I don't, I think that people trust us and you don't really want to break that. You have an,
1: like, there's another company around here that charges more
0: than you. Oh, yeah. Everyone hates them. Yeah. Yeah. But they begrudgingly hire them when they can't find anybody else. Yes, because they're cornered. Yeah.
1: And another thing to to. For the listeners to know about this market that makes it unique relative to other markets in the nation is that we do not have a culture of subcontracting within painting. Right. There is not an immigrant labor force here that is doing kind of a subcontractor or quasi under the table, like that whole thing that props up entire subcontractor models in other larger markets. It does not exist here, period. Not at all. So homeowners... I would not want to be a homeowner needing an exterior paint job that was complicated in this market. It is an awful position to be. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there's a few companies around here who I would trust to do my own house, and they'd all be pretty damn expensive. Yeah. There's not a good budget option around here, really. Right. Um, so, like.
0: And the budget yeah. ones now are full.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. you know, your best shot. For anybody who anybody who's reachable um, is booked mm-hmm. and the only people who aren't booked would be people who are not taking clients just turning away not doing estimates or um, you know otherwise just uh, you know just no no, effort, like just charging way too much. Mm-hmm. And, and again, mm-hmm. I know that's loaded because what is way too much, yeah, you well, know, the, but the uh, what the market will bear
1: perspective. Again, we've, yeah. we've acknowledged its validity, <laughs> yeah. but it needs a counter argument. Right. And that's like being a business that people feel good about within the community. Yeah. And again, you guys have that reputation. Yeah. And I think everyone understands that prices are going up yeah. right now on a lot of fronts and that hiring the best paint contractor value around is going to also right. be included in that bucket, but there's a limit to where they're going to kind of hate you.
0: Right, and right. Yeah, you don't want a, that's the thing, is you don't want a bitter or, uh, you know, you don't want a client that um, kind of hates that they had to hire you. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, it's just resentful. Just because you got you know? the check doesn't mean they're
1: happy. Right. And it's yeah. paying attention to both, I think, is a much better term long term play
0: yeah and um, maybe we just have to just say that you know in a bigger again in a bigger market with much much deeper labor pool and a much bigger uh, supply pool mm-hmm. there's so much more room for market forces just to work yes and here it's we have this you know it, there's a huge culture of DIY mm-hmm. in anywhere outside of Chittenden County in Vermont, Mm -hmm. which is why we get calls from all over Vermont and Northern New York from people who are like, I know I'm out of your service, but you know, we'll pay you any amount of money. There's Mm -hmm. no painters around here. It's like, well, everybody paints their own house or you've got a couple of the crusty old guys who run around and paint houses and like nobody can find them or, you know, whatever. And so we just have this weird market that doesn't self correct. And so right now there's a huge amount of demand and not a lot of supply. And, um, there's nothing to stop that, you know, that runaway sort of cornering of the market. So it's mm-hmm. um, there. There's just some outside of conventional, not outside of conventional wisdom. There is some room here in this particular market to say enough's enough. Mm-hmm. But anyway, mm-hmm. is that enough about how much we're charging? Yeah. Get back to yeah the fact that we're booked up through. No, it's, no, I think that was an
1: important point to go because <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, a very nuanced counter to the inevitable reaction to that fact yeah um, so I just you know, but yeah just
0: spidey sense tingle no no that, I that I,
1: I agree and I think you know it's it's a perspective that like you I've been trying to embrace more um, not trying to definitely definitely embracing more I've been I haven't been getting a lot of bits lately. And I like, like that. Calls. I'm sorry. I haven't been. My my success rate is very. I don't even. What, what's the what's the term people use? Well, uh, hit rate. Yeah. Or hit success rate. rate yeah. Hit rate. Closing rate, closing, what, closing what, ratio. Closing something. Ratio? I don't know. It's well, you're doing interior. It's soup, but I'm just swinging for the fences on everything because I'm already booked out an uncomfortable amount. And yeah, so I've been embracing that, but also being careful about the counter counter mm-hmm. argument to that. Which is I just never like,
0: close interior jobs. When I did it. Yeah. It was a different market back then, but that was one of the things that turned me away from interior was um I could you know, I my hit my close rate, whatever you want to call it, was so low on interior and it was a lot of work. because mm-hmm. I didn't have a good system yeah. for estimating. You know, the softwares didn't exist. Yeah. In as well in as mature a form as they are now. You know, I couldn't just I'm sure I could have come up with something, but I was kind of estimating interiors the hard way. Mm -hmm. You know, just writing, you know, using an Excel spreadsheet and trying to figure it out. And at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't know. Does linear feet matter? (laughs) (laughs) It's, I think, what you're competing with interior
1: wise is also the homeowner more than another exterior. Like, they are much less likely to try to do Mm -hmm. the
0: job you do than the job I do indoors. Yeah. Right. Interior Um, painting is also inherently optional. Mm hmm. Yes. So you're, you're already dealing with a, like somebody might really, really want you to paint their house, but it's like market prices are really high on interior painting right now. Maybe we'll just wait for it to calm down. Totally. And interior painting has that luxury mm-hmm. exterior painting to a degree. You can put it off for a while, but it's a ticking bomb that needs to be done. It's only getting more expensive every year. And it only gets, and it only gets more expensive every year. So yep. it's, uh, you know, that's another thing about the exterior market is, um, and the exterior market around here, especially is, um, we've, uh, we've created a, uh, you know, circling back around to like the systems Mm -hmm. that we've put into place. Um, I'm slightly suspicious. We are maybe the only painting company that gets back to people in this area right now? I think he, yeah. Which is weird because it's like just the start of estimating season. This is like even, even seasonal painter, even at your average painter should be coming out of hibernation right now and answering the phone. Mm-hmm. But the sense I get from talking to some of these people is just desperation. Yes. Nobody will pick up the phone. Nobody will call them back. Yep. And, you know, we have a system in place where, you know, somebody puts in a request. We're calling them within a day. We're giving them an estimate within a week. They get automated forms that they can fill out, texted to them
1: immediately. They get like,
0: whatever, yeah. I think you're the only person doing that. So yeah. it's just, it's, it's 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 kind of disturbing when you drop a estimate on somebody, expecting them to do some due diligence, and they've and you see the project populate in your system within six minutes. Mm-hmm. Be sure. Just long enough for them to, like, maybe, maybe they didn't even, I mean, they looked at the price, obviously, but yeah. just long enough for them to look at the price and say, all right, and they smash that button mm-hmm. to sign up. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, I circle back around a price, that, like, you know, it's, it wouldn't be uh, ethical to charge more. In a market that's behaving that way,
1: people are desperate. You're yeah. right, and I think it's I think it's commendable that you're not, you know, just like cranking down on that.
0: Yeah. And much. the other thing is, uh, last week's meeting we discussed this, and uh, my partner for one was like, "Sooner we can be done estimating, the better." Yeah. Like who needs like every yeah. job we've booked is bid at a price that supports our goals. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter, like why, why, like as soon as as soon as uh we hit that hundred percent mark, hundred percent booked, I can just go into the system and I can disable all of the stuff, put up my messages that say sorry, we're booked for 2022. Mm-hmm. Um I've got a new I've got a form that's all ready to go for being put on a queue for mm-hmm. estimates, which will start in October. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh as soon as we hit that hundred percent mark we can all put down the sales and estimating hat and put on the production hat. Yep. And that's different than it has been in the past because, um, you know, I would be bogged down with various levels of estimating work all summer just because of my inability to produce estimates Mm -hmm. was again, it's not that we didn't have enough calls coming in. It's not that, you know, our production machine was just crushing it and I couldn't keep up. It was literally the one person who was in charge of doing estimates mentally couldn't. Yeah. And, um, as such, I would be bogged down with estimating all summer. Mm-hmm. And now, all of a sudden, we're in this position where our team has worked together to book this docket of summer work, mm-hmm. and as soon as that docket hits 100%, it's not, like, who cares? Yeah. Any more work we would have sold to fill the summer would have been bid at the same pricing. Yeah. It just would have been different work. Yep. Yeah. You know, and we don't care.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's, it's a bummer that we can't help everybody. Yeah. And that's where production's really the limiting factor still, obviously it always is. Sure. If
1: you had twice the size of a crew that was as capable and you know, yeah. got on a on amount of mainlessness
0: and that like great. Yeah, yeah, but sure. like yeah. yeah. copy paste the company. Sure. That we can awesome. do twice the work. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you could sell it. Yeah. And yeah. you could you could we have the call volume and we have the systems in place now where we could produce the estimates, which mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. Um But no, I love that you can
1: be singularly focused now and just produce. Yeah. And do that all summer and you know hone the new app in because I'm sure that's going to be kind of quirky up front and like Mm -hmm. you get to focus on that make sure it's smooth that'll be a a, a, a well run well oiled machine by the end of the summer probably middle of the summer knowing you I am selfishly a little disappointed you're not leaving some room on on the schedule for me to you know when an interior client is like I can't get you guys over there but it's
0: it's, uh, a bummer because and that's the biggest thing is these uh, the the aspirational projects that you really would want to do I know and those come in Mm -hmm. in like May a lot of them Mm -hmm. and uh, you know a lot of the stuff we're estimating right now these proactive people who are getting estimates in I mean you know we've done almost twice as many not twice as many we've done more estimates um, so far this year Mm -hmm. than I normally than in 2021 I did an entire year Hmm. And our company has put out 50% more than that actually. I mean, I can just say number like uh, average over the last uh, three or four years, about a hundred estimates a year mm-hmm. to, to create, you know, 60 or so like large exterior projects. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this year I think we're up over or like at 160 estimates so far wow. and the estimating season is just starting. Traditional estimating season is just starting. Because I will say, I feel like I've
1: gotten less exterior calls than in previous years by this point in the year, and the whole world doesn't know that I'm not doing exteriors. Hmm. There are still people who just get my name from wherever. Sure, it says it on my website and my Facebook page that I don't even know if anyone checks. I never updated. The paint store knows. That might be affecting the lead funnel, but there are still people who you're like, how did you even hear about me? And they don't really know. I'm not even getting those calls. Hmm. So, you know, like
0: one of my little to-do things. Well, so we've we been cleaning up. You you, you know think you about might it might be cleaning like, up
1: the proactive people.
0: So, that, and that actually is a running theory that we've been talking about is historically, and I won't, I won't hide this fact. Um, my own uh, problems with uh, being able to keep up and and produce estimates means that you know. Through the winter, you know, maybe one out of ten people who called would actually end up with an estimate. Mm. Because I just I'd be busy with other, you know, other company stuff. My brain wouldn't be into estimating. I'd hit a most of my estimating work would I'd hit a stride in like late March and I would just like estimate like crazy until like early May. Mm. And that would be where like 90% of the year's estimating. So outside of that time frame, my brain, I'm a very uh I have a very um I don't know, there's a good term for this, but I have like a one track mind. Mm -hmm. And when I focus on something, it's great that I can do really cool things, but everything else in my orbit suffers. Mm -hmm. And so historically I would click into estimating mode in early spring and I would be super duper awesome at estimating for a month or two. Mm -hmm. We get the schedule like 70% full, I, I would get overwhelmed with production and then estimating suffers. So, like just taking care of calls. I mean, you knew like last fall be part of any of the conversations where like like a week would go by and I would have like 52 voicemails. Yes. And I'm like yes. who are all these people and why yes. are they calling me? you know yes. like I just like losing my mind yeah. and I couldn't possibly keep up with it. Like I can't just you know, I can't each voicemail that you answer creates a whole workflow. Mm-hmm. And so like 52 voicemails is just not possible nope. to handle. Nope. When you're working, when you're painting for 45 hours a week, mm-hmm. working nights and trying to, you know, to estimate all these other stuff you're doing. And then on top of that, you're looking at a voicemail box with 50 voicemails from the week. Yep. That's actually what inspired me that and uh, Slavic about just killing the phone, mm-hmm. automating the phone system. I love that. Yeah. Yep. It was, it's good. It's good good um that took some rewiring of the of the brain noodle that that old timey like now people need to be able to to reach me you know and uh they can they just have to wait and hear my extension Mm -hmm. now
1: which (laughs) which is a great filter also people (laughs) are totally used to doing this with other businesses. Yeah. And it's you don't want to become, like, the business that takes, like, 15 minutes on some weird circular, like, right. kind of hit, the, hit the different numbers thing in order to get a human. And they're mad by the time they get a human. That's not what you set up. But people are used to some sort of resistance and needing to put in a little bit of effort in the front end in order to talk to the principal and actually get something. So right. I don't think it's unreasonable. I just think most contractors don't do it.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and, like, I think, to be fair, the... Uh, Customer base, I think, still expects and hopes. It's it's waning because they're not getting it. Yeah, But there is a huge share of the customer base, especially for if you're charging what you are charging. Mm-hmm. Your customer base is going to be older because they've accumulated more money mm-hmm. that they can pay you. Mm-hmm. And they may still be thinking it's like 1987 and their <sighs> painter picks up the phone when they call mm-hmm. and comes out the next day, paints their house, Thanks, I'll see you in five years. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. It doesn't exist anymore, but a huge share of the customer base still at at least hopes for that Sure. if doesn't expect it. And, uh, you know, as such, I was really hesitant to let it go, but I needed to. Yes. Um, I couldn't. And that was another thing is, uh, you know, when we were trying to crack the nut of how do you get the center, the prince, you know, the guy who's been answering the phone all the years, like, you know, we're like, how these people are just going to call the company line. I'm going to answer these calls. Like what? Now I'm just a, not like, if you guys are doing the estimating, I'm still going to have to answer the phone. Hey, I got an estimate. I had some questions. It's like, hold on, I'll put you through. Um, mm-hmm. Like none of that, like it. The, the only way to go to what I've, I've been calling it team based management mm-hmm. rather than a singular, you know, the only way to go to team based management is to have the principal not like just take the phone away from them. Have the company answer the phone, mm-hmm. and uh, you know again technology. Oh, technology is so good. Mm-hmm. You know we doing uh, use a service um, that was really easy to uh, forward the phone number to, mm-hmm. and then just an online system that I can put in messages and uh, and uh, press one for this and press two for that integrate through the backend so it can send them text messages if you want. Um, was it your personal cell number that all the calls were coming through before? No, the company, the, so we had a company landline from okay. way back, Okay. Um, which to be fair was never actually, it was a landline for a couple months before I had it ported to a cell phone. I'm not that old. Um, but uh, the company landline has always just forwarded to my cell phone. Okay, but they were different lines, so it wasn't that hard to break them up and do this. When when a cut when a, when somebody would call the company line, I would see on my phone that it was a forwarded call. Mm-hmm. So that was how I could answer with um, "Good afternoon, this is Green Mountain Painters." Versus "Yo," sure, you know. Sure. So, uh, but the phone would ring. No joke. There was days where the phone would ring. You know, forty times, and. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe six to 12 of those would be like outside from company calls originating from outside the company mm-hmm. uh 15 or 20 might be company calls originating inside the company and then you know six six or eight personal calls mm-hmm. you know like just you know but it adds up it adds up yeah and that's that's another thing of you know it just goes to show there would be days where i would look at my call log and literally you could add up like 20 calls from the other managers mm-hmm. or employees. Mm-hmm. And that's because everybody would look to me and they, and they needed to. Yeah. These weren't things that they just were dumb and weren't figuring out. These were things that were only in my brain that they needed. Mm-hmm. What color is going on the porch? Yeah. You know, I didn't have a good way of, you know, I didn't do that paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> so they're looking at an empty color spot Yeah, on the work order because mm-hmm. I didn't do the work. Mm-hmm. So what do they do? Yeah. you know, the homeowners at work and, Oh, I also forgot to put the homeowner's phone number in the scheduler. So they don't have any way, you know, like that's what, that's the kind of thing that happens when you've got one guy and it's all in your brain or in my phone. Yep. And uh, then that one guy is sort of unreliable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, if you, you can get there. Yep. It's a lot of work for me and a lot of work for everybody else. And it's, it works, but it's not smooth. It's not great. And, right. and you can get in a rut and, end up going for 12 years doing the same thing over and over again like mm-hmm. I did and, and not Be- making changes. the level of energy it took you to solve that problem in a it's very just
1: detailed way was immense. Yeah. You spent the entire winter working yeah. overtime hours essentially to create what you showed me this morning. Yeah, And it's and wild. It, it is it is your brain in software. That's, yeah. the, that's the best way I can put it without... Yeah. It's...
0: it, Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's impressive. It's the... Yeah, it's like two different projects. The first was the uh the the like team management system, CRM, mm-hmm. all the integrations, fully integrating all of the different systems that the company uses to generate work. That was part one. And that was like 4 400 hours maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a little more um of work between like November, December, you know, a little October, November, December and then um, yeah, I'm like probably pushing, like I said, like a little over 700 hours mm-hmm. building out the data systems and uh, the data structure and, and software to, to manage the project workflows. And it's not just project workflows. You know, like you said, it's, it's, I, I'm trying to solve all of the logistical problems in the company yeah, you have your lifts and trucks and a heavy
1: equipment in this app labeled so people know where to put what or what's available what's at the warehouse what's on a job site which job site you have an alert to you have so you have on staff carpenters i don't know if we fully mentioned that but you have an alert that says we need carpentry on this job like every single contingency that could involve your brain is now in this app yeah. and,
0: and if, if I, I could just say one thing. Yeah. It sounds like a lot because it's circling back around on me. Well, who's going to put in all that information? Nobody's going to use it. Mm-hmm. The, the key is that with technology, nobody has to do any data input. Yeah. It already exists. Mm-hmm. The only thing that has to happen is minute nudging mm-hmm. of data mm-hmm. that already exists. Um, you know, the, the uh, employees already every day, type, put their hours into their phone and text it to a manager. Mm -hmm. Well, that work gets done already. Like why have that create a cascading effect of admin work? If, if that, my whole thought was if that data gets created by the employee, Mm -hmm. why, um, why not just have that data persist through all the systems? And that's basically the underlying you know, what the software does Mm -hmm. is it basically allows data to be put in once, hopefully not by anybody, not by a manager, Mm -hmm. and then have that data persist through the system. And, um, like our sales system, uh, we've sold like, you know, we're 70, you know, we're, we're heavily booked, 70 something percent booked and nobody in my company has written down a phone number Yeah, this year. Yeah. So much as a phone number, email, nothing, zero data. And the only data that's been put in, the only uh, like bits and bytes that have been inputted is, you know, estimate information, Mm -hmm. writing up estimates, Mm -hmm. but then that data persists. So, you know, nobody needs to copy that estimate data over to the project management system because it's integrated Mm -hmm. and it flows. Mm -hmm. And so when the project populates into the system, you, you know, the phone number of the person is already there. I mean, how many times last summer did I field a phone call where somebody was like, hey, yeah, Joe Schmo's phone number is not in Smartsheet. Can you, uh, do you have it? And then I'd have to go, well, where where did that number originally in my Google Calendar? So I'd rely on, I'd go search for Google Calendar for that phone number and then I would text that phone number to my manager who needed it mm-hmm. and then that would be the end of it. Mm-hmm. And did anybody ever put it in SmartSheet? No. No. Nope. Just solved the problem. And for yet I did. Second. I did just about the same amount of effort it would have taken to put that number in SmartSheet to deliver that piece of data that one time when he needed it, and then it went away again. Yeah. And it wasn't accessible. So
1: I think fundamentally, one one like big point we keep circling around is that it is so easy. This is just a weird human thing. It's so much easier for us to do the inefficient thing that we're comfortable with. Yeah. And the hard thing that, that saves us time in the long run, <laughs> investing. And yeah, it's we are we have these silly little monkey brains where we're like, we know what we're doing is kind of dumb, and we will sometimes do the dumb thing until the day we die. Yeah. And breaking out of those cycles can be—it's hard. Yeah. You got to front load a lot of work, but it's powerful. Yeah. Um, let's talk. You know, so you're you have freed up a lot more of your time with all this effort. And we'll have, we'll have. Yeah, you invested a weird. lot. You, again, you've seen the benefits on the estimated this, front. Yes, you sales, keep forgetting about. Well, this. I'm,
0: I'm kind of You're still keep... in the throes of the app building process, no, so you have to remember I'm not feeling out of the woods. Sure, or like I've sure. saved any time
1: yet. Coming from my perspective, again, like <laughs> talking to you this time last year versus this year feels like a powerful, powerful transformation at this point. But. Last summer you were also doing a lot of these special projects, and I wanted to talk to you about, you know, just stain grade exterior restoration work. You know, we touched on at the beginning. It is the hardest part. It is the hardest type of exterior work that we can do as refinishers. I, I firmly believe that. It's a specialty within exterior paint contracting. It, it's, it feels like a different trait almost. Um, and to the process versus outcome then, You know, I thought about those ideas, but I never distilled it that nicely. And you said that and just like one of those things that clicked I was like, ah, yes. And it, it gets to that broader discussion of this is expensive work to do. eh? um, it takes a lot, like, especially the way you've done it. You have a glorious wash trailer that a lot of professional wash contractors don't even have. And it takes a lot of knowledge investment and, You're selling something expensive that necessarily will increase the stakes and the desires that their, you know, super expensive Cedar or Ipe or Hemlock can look gorgeous like the day it was installed again. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's not. (laughs) So the the tension between charging a ton of money and maybe knocking it out of the park and maybe not getting there and managing those expectations yeah, take that? Okay. Um, I'll keep blabbing. Is is kind of a wild thing, and it's funny. I, I only started really thinking about this latter half of last summer when I was no longer even estimating this stuff because, you know, we were, we were pretty much done estimating for the season. And it was something I never really tied together in practice, but it just kind of kind of like closed up a conceptual end for me. Um, but I, no, actually, I did have a job in September of last year where the sickens had sealed in so much moisture for so many years mm. that I could not sand the black stains out right. of it.
0: which is really, and, I call that deep black.
1: Yes, you could not acid it out you cannot bleach it out you could not sand it out you know i and could have shaved a yeah. quarter inch off me You'd have
0: you have better got better luck sanding a knot out of the wood yes
1: um and actually that was a very understanding client because she had been going around her house with these these polyurethane oak casement windows that were black and rotting and stuff mm. and been trying to get that out herself and then concluded that there's really no way to do so at a certain point so you know when I informed her of this she was very reasonable she was like yeah that's unfortunate but you know, I, I know exactly what you're talking about from inside and, you know, I just want the wood to be healthy. And right. she understood that Armstrong Clark was a very healthy way to preserve the wood in the future. And yep. it cost her a lot of money to have a very healthy pine porch that still looked like crap in some places. That's not something that a lot of people are going to pay a car's worth of money to have happily. Right. So again, process versus outcome. We have a great process. The outcome is, is a crapshoot sometimes yep. that you can't predict up front. I feel like I just kind of spieled about the whole point. But like,
0: you're the one who put that on my radar. Um, well, it's a result of frustration of not being able to do produce the results you want to. Mm-hmm. And how do, you, how do you cope with that? How do you cope with it when you literally can't? You know, again, you know, if we want to circle back around to Hollenbeck, if it doesn't look the way you want it to, mm-hmm. you can sand it and try again. Yeah, and you can just do and do and iterate and practice until you get a mirror. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you can sand and sand and sand and sand a piece of cedar until it's a hundred percent sawdust, mm-hmm. and that doesn't doesn't change it if it's just old. Yeah, and isn't going to look new, mm-hmm. and. Uh, again it was decade you know just long time of, of banging head against the wall developing systems trying everything learning dedicating myself to to doing those kind of projects and you know you finish a job and it looks just how you hoped it would and you're like I'm the best ever mm-hmm. and then you bid the next one lower oops yeah. and <laughs> then you hit one where you just can't make look good mm-hmm. and um, not to mention the Something that complicates it is, you know, manufacturers who've produced just the most wild concoctions of various stains over the years, uh, all of which are billed to the homeowner as the one thing that's going to last forever. Mm -hmm. And anybody who knows anything knows that stain grade anything is expensive and temporary and ablative, and it should be left that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're dealing with prior coatings that are extremely unpredictable, Mm -hmm. Um, not just wood. You, know, you can always just sand through a prior coating. That's a tremendous amount of work and very expensive, but um, you don't really want to have to do that. Most of the time you want to be able to get to your where you want to go with chemical treatment and mm-hmm. uh, process. More so than just grindy, grindy, grindy. Yes. Um, so, you know, that's... Uh, you struggle with that for long enough and you have to come up with Some way of uh, dealing with it. And so really focusing on the like, look, um, I'm selling a process. I can tell you exactly what we're going to do. And I can educate you on the potential outcomes. But at the end of the day, you have to accept that you've got used wood and it's not going to be new wood. And are you saying that to clients? Yes. Okay.
1: So you're, okay. Yeah. When did you start? Was there a transition point where you realized that needed to be upfront in the conversation?
0: Um, I mean, I've always, you know, our logo or one of our mottos, uh, it was our original motto, paint smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the whole idea of that was that um, how we were going to compete was through customer education. That painting is not a homogenous good. Yeah, it's right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, painting is not homogenous good. Um, it's not just that you get what you pay for because sometimes you pay too much for a bad paint job. Mm -hmm. Um, so just paying more isn't necessarily it, but knowing what makes a good paint job, even from a customer's perspective and making sure that it's specified correctly. Mm -hmm. And, um, when you're getting bids, you're doing apples to apples. Cause if all people see is a price and aren't able to read specs, um, you know, they get a price from one contractor that's 8500 materials included, and it says paint house, right? <laughs> and then they get mine and it's $16,824.30 and it's 25 pages of specifications and photos. Um, they're not the same. Mm-hmm. And even back in the day, and that's, to, that's today's estimate, you know, it didn't used to be that good. Um, but even back then um, I would spend a ton of time talking to homeowners about their project yeah. and educating them on what I thought would be good where the pitfalls would be mm-hmm. um, dealing with things you know I mean on my website there's a uh, a blog post I wrote in God 20 I don't know a long time ago about substrate failure mm. and how, how new coatings interact with old coatings and You know, and that kind of stuff. So it's just been part of my nature Mm -hmm. the whole time I've been running this company is is trying to educate people on what to expect Mm -hmm. for what we're doing Mm -hmm. because that's a critical part of the painting industry. It's not like um, some other trades, electrical, did the house burn down or not? Yeah. You know, and I I shouldn't be that black and white about electrical because there is a finesse to that trade. Mm -hmm. I deeply appreciate it and I dabble in it myself. Sure. And I appreciate there the are yeah. But at the end of the day, like uh, electricians are licensed. Mm-hmm. They have a code book. And at the bare minimum, an electrician has to be hitting code. Yeah. And, you know, real bad ones won't. But it, It's easier to measure, right. too. You can
1: stick a, a, a meter in the outlet after you install it is it It running 120 is it green or is it red it's like you can't can't measure dry mill thickness with a tool from lowe's and you know a month later if the painter did a good job
0: or just just you know there's no standards by which um painters are set to operate so just the fact there's a code book and a licensing process and schooling for sure. electricians is is a differentiating point more so than just saying like whether there's a bad electrician who burns your house down or not. Sure. Um, obviously, it can exist, but the fact that there's this baseline standards in the work according to the uh, according to the code book can be homogenized. Mm-hmm. So you can have small margins sure. with an electrician where they're putting the wires into your into your box neatly mm-hmm. and 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 spacing their staples perfectly Mm -hmm. on a space versus a few inches off here and there. But the fact is that they're going to be putting staples in Mm because it's code. They're going to be, you know, they're gonna be following all these minimum standards. And at the end of the day, what does that mean? It means when you flick the switch, the light comes on. Yeah. And your house doesn't burn down. Mm -hmm. So there's like a there's a standard, there's a bare minimum in the electrical trades and a lot of other trades Mm -hmm. that protect the customer and requires them not to really know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Right? So most homeowners don't need to know how electricity works. Might as well be magic. Mm-hmm. And they can trust if they hire a licensed electrician, they'll come in and, and it will work. It doesn't exist that way in the painting industry. Mm-hmm. Homeowners need to kind of know what's up in order to be effective at picking a painter. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was kind of like a whole, the, the, one of the whole reasons we started the company was that we felt like the painting industry just was a hot mess and people needed to have a, a resource in this area that they could call and not just get a quote for painting, but also get advice about how to paint their house yeah. and what they should be looking for. And so we've really stuck to that. And we, you know, this latest iteration of our estimating uh, system embraces that whole like I said, we're delivering 25 page estimates now. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a book on how you're going to paint your house, mm-hmm. and um, that's important. And are there customers who look at that and are just like, "Where the hell's the price here? And where's the sign up button?" Yeah, yeah, probably most of them. Sure, you know, get off my soapbox. Most people don't care the way I do, but yep. that doesn't make it less important. I no. don't think. No. I think it's important to have that that educational thrust, and and also, you know. Those of us in the field doing the estimates are, are emphasizing education, taking the time to talk about not just what it's going to cost, but what it's going to look like in the process. So naturally, I've been talking about this a long time. That was a really long-winded way of saying, yeah, I've been doing it a while.
1: Yeah, I think that education <laughs> component is especially important on the stain grade front. Because yeah. paint grade, you prep the substrate well, you know, depending on exposure, eight-ish years, right? Like, you can kind of know what's Somebody to committed to doing a good job will yeah. do a good job. Yeah. Stain grade, not so much. Like, they need to fully understand why film-forming finishes have damaged their home, if that's the case, and why the one that's going to let the wood breathe more it might be at every two-year application cycle. That goes against every marketing slogan on every can they've read at a big box store. They have to be unprogrammed from this stuff. Right. What their builder told them before they sold them right. the clear cedar package was probably a, a, a lie intentionally or not. Well, the builders like know. they don't they have no idea. Yeah. So I think one of the many tricky parts with stain grade exterior stuff is the sale. And it starts with that educational process yeah. because, I mean, it, it took us years to know what we're talking about on that front, mm-hmm. right? And how to, how to deal with all these situations. Yeah. And we still hit head scratchers. Like, clients have no hope. Mm-hmm. Like, they, it is especially important. Yeah. There was that, I mean, we were on that one Redwood job of mine last year, both of us head scratching. And, like, you've you'd had more year, yeah, years sorry. in the game than, than I, I have,
0: but, like, there was still some head scratching there. We should have had like, uh, we should have had the the problem we had there, you know, is uh, slightly underprepared. We should have had access to some some butyl boost. It would have saved fair. us a lot of time. Yeah. As if we I had a normal supply chain. I usually so. keep some of that stuff in the trailer just to splash on. And uh But but I mean, anyway, yes we the are idea just, that, we yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that we knew that we knew it was up and we spent a the time. Remember how
1: butyl... Butyls were just like kind of a maybe thing at first in your head, like yeah, that, yeah, There wasn't yeah, a knee exactly. jerk. This needs butyls because right. there were like eight layers of some crazy hard, thing. which was, was also reacting
0: weird because it was working and then it, but then it wasn't working. Well, because different sides got coated differently. <laughs> yeah. It was like that. <sighs> yeah, it's but yeah. that's that's par for the course for a difficult strip job like that, and yeah. then. You know, then then we switch to butyl and we blow all the paint off of all the aluminum trims. So that was a fun little upgrade for you. Yeah, I was painting them anyway. It's fine. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know. I didn't know that was included. I'm not but <laughs> sure. Oh yeah,
1: that's when I decided to rip the aluminum cladding off. And there was oh, great. There was there great was wood beneath yeah. that. It was only
0: rod So That worked out like, fine. It worked out great. But if that was just like painted, you know, Anderson windows, so like brilliant. aluminum painted windows, brilliant. and then we melted so the paint yeah. off them, no you know, way. that's one of the pitfalls. No way. Yeah. You, you, if you're going to run something that hot, you there's just so much more work and risk. And that's, you know, we're talking hyper details right now. But, um, you know, it's important to kind of understand there's no... Anybody who wants to sell a, a, a turnkey solution to a service provider for exterior wood care and restoration, don't believe it. No. Every no. single project will require critical thinking and adjusting of your processing process
1: maybe a day or two of testing before you go and do the whole thing because so many of these chemicals even in light to moderate concentrations can discolor or mess up anything from you know soffits pre-finished plastics like windows Mm -hmm. landscaping like the concrete that you're dribbling down like and there's no protecting it most of the time it is so tricky
0: yeah and we've actually over the years um the things like what we do, you know, the number of times I've done a project like what you and I worked on at that Redwood house, mm-hmm. I bet I could count on one hand. It just doesn't happen because I educate the homeowner on how much of a pain in the butt it's going to be mm-hmm. and they don't choose that option. Yeah. They choose to have me do a percarbonate wash and see what we get. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then if it doesn't look good, we... You know just do the terrible thing and just put more semi-trans you know film former on it yeah and then they're they're like whatever it looks good yeah and they usually do look fine mm-hmm. you know like to the to especially to a an untrained out like spray you know when we look at a house that we've just finished staining all we see is the staining and the discoloration and the splotchiness that we didn't get out mm-hmm. and uh, most of the time the homeowner sees a, a their house looks cared for yeah. and decent and so much better than it did. And they see film build as a good thing. And most of the yeah, time. They're conditioned and to seeing a
1: built film yeah. as protection yeah. instead of a liability like we think about it. Yeah, um,
0: And so at the end of the day, sometimes you just have to put that on a shelf, like you, what you know, yeah, and and just give the homeowner an option for something that they're comfortable with, both from a price standpoint and finishing standpoint. Yes. And
1: I admired that compromise that you were offering. Of, like, you know, the the $11,000 solution instead of the $20,000 one that might turn into a train wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't willing to offer that. I did. I hated it. Yeah, but the $11,000 $11, solution it's for a, us. It's a guarantee. It's almost as easy as a paint job.
0: Uh, sort of, because what ends up happening is they take the lower price, but then I still show up and I'm like, mm-hmm. Maybe just a little stripper. <laughs> Maybe just a little.
1: So you couldn't control yeah. yourself. No, like, yeah. I mean,
0: but that's... Well, I have
1: this nice soft wash set up. You know, yeah. it's easy. I'll just do one pass and yeah. then,
0: yeah. Okay. All right, let's just load the chemi pumps. Let's just give this a try. We're here.
1: We're here, right? Okay. How did so, you learn how to do that? And what made you go totally apeshit and build out that gorgeous trailer?
0: Oh, the trailer, yeah. Uh, so, you know, how, like, we kind of talked about that, like, one track mind thing. Yeah. So... Yeah, nothing else got done while I built that trailer, for what it's worth. How long did it take you? Um, well, I dreamed slash planned slash r and for a couple years, mm-hmm. and then uh, executed in, like, about a month wow. in one spring. Just That's... bought a trailer and built it out. And uh, the reason um, is because... Uh, I couldn't I I, the the reason I built that trailer is because I had to do all the washing for the company Mm. and I was getting really fed up with that because nobody else wanted to for one thing Mm -hmm. nobody else really could yeah and um, I just kind of was like look if I'm gonna have to do this work I don't want it to suck so bad that I that it that it just ruins me Mm -hmm. from a morale standpoint Mm -hmm. and there's nothing worse Than having to clean a house well and just showing up with a, you know, a four gallon per minute, uh, little rattler Mm -hmm. and having to pull all the hoses out of the trailer and hook up and do this and drag it around the house and set up and get your bucket of soft wash soap and get your injector going. And then half the time the injectors don't work on those little machines. And, uh, you know, it just really sucked. And then like using like an X jet, which was like the easy button, Mm -hmm. you know, there's only so many years I could do that before my lungs probably would have melted from chlorine exposure because those are, you know, high pressure chlorine is bad. Yep. Um, a, lot in, a lot in the air. A lot yeah, a lot in there. the air. And, you know, I'd wear a respirator when I was ex jetting, but it didn't matter. Like, yeah. you know, it, it, you can't, it would just be, it was just a mess. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is a mess. Mm-hmm. And um, so where there's a need, uh, I guess I find the will in the way and uh, like I needed to have a solution and uh, again I've been doing it the hard way for a decade at mm-hmm. the time maybe more 12 years mm-hmm. so it's not like I'm just an incredible human being who just like got off the couch one day and I'm like hey you know what would be cool running a painting company that washes houses too and and uh oh by the way I'm just gonna genius out this no it was it was a grind you know and it it yeah. hum- it came to a head and then I finally acted. That's really how I see it. There's a funny pattern with <laughs> you though where like
1: something will build and be inefficient or torture you for a lot of years and then when you solve it, <laughs> you go It's the one track so far beyond. We're landing on we're a theme for the de- day. Yeah. We're landing on yeah. a theme. You you go so far yeah. past. Where like I felt the same thing as you dragging around the, unit X, like, you know, like, yeah, I went through the, the valves continuously malfunctioning, then up to the X-Jet. My final solution, I could keep doing exterior work for another 10 years. I probably would not go past my little electrical chemi pump on a work table. You get tired and, of mixing five-gallon buckets. No, like you hire someone and they do it. Like, the, oh, you know, they I mean had a really good two-person system where Bender was chasing me, mixed chemi buckets, and yelling when she had to switch them, and I was doing this and that. Like...
0: Yeah. Like that was my you could definitely do compromise
1: that. solution and guess what even like was that but how do you nearly... do a three
0: story house with that don't book them I don't oh, know. okay yeah <laughs> like, all, right. all right
1: yeah um, it's it's yeah it like just conflicts conflict with our lift plan yeah yes. if you're gonna if you're gonna you know <laughs> oh like oh my watching you with your lift trailer or sorry your 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 wash trailer plus lift plus lift game. Is like <laughs> just the, uh,
0: the marriage of of epicness yeah. on all fronts. Yeah. I was we had a, a nice uh, wash. Pro. We don't usually take on independent power washes. Mm-hmm. It has to be a we don't advertise for it. Um, it's you know mentioned here and there. People can find it if they want to. People can, but sure. we're not. We don't push it because uh, we don't really want to. Um, it interferes with painting mm-hmm. and uh so but we you know we have contact who wants us to wash a condo building last year mm-hmm. and uh there that it was really nice because um they kind of were like well this is what we pay to have it done and it's like $8,000 mm-hmm. and uh like we can do it for that of course and so um, Mitch and I take our 64 Foot lift mm-hmm. out to this condo building, and we washed it in uh, one one day and a in maybe like six hour second day. That's fantastic. And the management couldn't hand us the money fast enough because it's a retirement facility and it requires immense amounts of manpower and effort to get all of the, well, yeah, to get all the retirees to like shut their windows yeah. and behave and yeah. move their cars. And so they were able to do like two thirds of the building on one day and they were just like, shut your windows. Yeah. And it was for like an hour at a time. So they were just like staying ahead of us. And so rather than having this like eight day, 10 day rigmarole with okay. a big lift parked on site and, and some dude with, again, like a little like four gallon per minute Barely machine that the they're just, all streaky. well, they would yeah. do it from a lift, but they would just go inch by inch, you know, yeah. uh, yeah. No soap. They actually pressure wash the buildings. That's stressful. Which was really bad because they actually don't get clean. Three inch fan at a time. Well, That's yeah. Sad. Well, yeah. Ugh, no. It was nah, bad, nah, and it didn't nah. actually clean anything. Like there was grime in the corners that had never ever been cleaned. So, you know, it was kind of like a show. They would put on a show for, for a couple weeks, and cause huge disruption in this community. And then we, you know, again, it's about specialization. Like we were able to do do a job it's not like we did a better job Mm -hmm. it wasn't that's why they were so eager to pay us because to their minds it cost eight thousand dollars to clean that building and that makes sense yeah that's a big building it's like three wings yeah thousands and thousands and thousands of square feet Mm -hmm. and difficult to get at in places um they weren't looking at the job though they were looking at the convenience factor
1: yeah if i recall that's how i won this shirt i'm wearing because I guessed the amount of surfactant or something. Oh, or, right. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or something. How much concentrate you yeah. you put on? I'm wearing <laughs> a Green Mountain Painter shirt right now, by the way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It was a lot of concentrate. Yeah. A lot of concentrate.
1: I think I got, I, like... That almost wasn't fair though, because I'm like so
0: in the rabbit hole too. Right? Like, yeah, you yeah. have an idea of what yeah. it takes to do a house. <laughs> like all you had to do is know that it takes like five to seven gallons to right. do a house. Yeah, and yeah. then you can just look at that building and be like, "That's like that's a buttload that's of houses." My house, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but that's like a, that's a good little slice of uh, what specialization and, and um, providing service. It's almost like software.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a concept. I actually was talking about, uh, with Blake and Mitch, um, actually Mitch, cause he was working on bidding a stained grade house mm-hmm. and I got the will, you know, I was having the Spidey, like, you know, I was like, I don't, I don't like how it looks. It's going to be a nightmare. Uh, I think we should do, you know, this was like a, you know, 1800 square foot Cape house. And I was like, we need, it needs to be like 28,000, mm-hmm. you know, it just needs to be, we need to, we need to have the budget to troubleshoot. Yeah. And it's gotta be a lot. And Mitch was like, "Jeez, oh, you know, we'll stay in that thing in like three days. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, oh, yeah. At the end of a huge long drawn out effort of testing and mm-hmm. stress and anxiety and homeowner education. Yep. I mean, I could just see it being this whole thing to, to achieve what we wanted to achieve. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway, um, and I was thinking, like, it's not about the time at this point, anyway. It's about like, the mental bandwidth. It's bandwidth, and uh, it's like y- him and I were talking, and I started thinking, it's kind of like software. It's like when you buy software, you're buying nothing, there's nothing there, there's no physical anything.
2: Mm.
0: It doesn't cost them anything to copy, to give you a copy of their software. Mm. And yet people will pay, you know, $15,000 a year for, uh, you know, SOLIDWORKS. Mm. It costs SOLIDWORKS nothing to hand you a license to their software. But you're getting decades of experience and code that delivers a result that's worth $15,000 a year to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great way to think about exterior stain grade work and maybe exterior work in general. Sure. Any specialized trade specific knowledge. Specialized trade. Yes. Yeah. You're getting not just the time Mm -hmm. and this is how owners should think about their time. They should be thinking about their experience and the value they bring. It's it's kind of like a software package. Mm -hmm. So the hardware is the physical time that you're moving a paintbrush and the software is the entire apparatus and knowledge set that you've built over the years to deliver a quality job in a reasonable time frame to mm-hmm. that person. Mm-hmm. So people are buying not just the hardware, but the software. And so that job, that big wash is a good example of where our software, like those people didn't, those people needed a result. Yes. They needed the building cleaned and they didn't want to have to deal with that. And they had been paying 8,000 bucks yep. to have people grind on it for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And we had software that did it in a day and a half and they were willing to pay for that software, mm-hmm. you know, Mm-hmm. and the software isn't just the trailer, it's not just the lift, but it was Mitch and I working as a seamless team to okay. execute,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, and that's that's some powerful software. Yeah, so. yeah.
1: and especially with SteamGrade, it's like, the, even at a high level, you still might be making calls after work, and troubleshooting, and calling in someone, and sourcing product that isn't available with extra fuels, because this, like, not to
0: mention you have to do it again in like four yeah. years. Yeah. And Or two. Or, or two. Like, you're not stripping it for you. but no. But, like, it's weigh that... In your calculations, in the
1: bid, weigh that amount of stress with an average ranch with some paint that's peeling and yeah. all that stuff you don't have to do and troubleshoot just right. to do your job and get paid. Mm-hmm. That needs to be in the price. Right. That R&D that, like, it, it's... Brain space. Brain yeah. space costs money. Yes. It should. Yes. it, it it's, ex- it's also accepting the fact that, like, as a professional, being hired in to be a specialist, you probably shouldn't be doing R and D on every job. But stain grade jobs might break that rule a little, and mm-hmm. that's okay, and that's part of the program. Yeah, you might need to be doing R and D, and the customer kind of needs to understand that you're coming up. A lawyer doesn't know how to try every case, right? Yeah. They know how to. They know the resource. They know this and that. Like, I don't think I ever. I don't
0: think I've ever approached a full blown stain grade exterior. I'm not talking about deck. Like, there's been decks in the past where I'm just like, I've got its number. Mm-hmm. Easy peasy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you look like a hero. Yeah. Um. There's been a few easy houses, but I guarantee I've never approached a stain grade full exterior of a big of a you know big project, um, knowing exactly what I'm going to do. Yes, you bring your arsenal. You bring you the arsenal. Happens.
1: You try the most likely thing first, that yeah. would be the easiest. Mm-hmm. Then go to plan B, plan C, B, B. C. <laughs> you iterate, yeah. you
0: yeah. And uh, and build for it's it, surprising. Or you lose your shirt. Yeah. 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 You yeah. have to bid you have to bid for that. Um, and it's not again, not just the time. There's there's brain space and effort and mm-hmm. way more it's, cost than you think. Yeah. 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 So the pattern, too, over the
1: past year is, like, a lot of the stuff that only you could do in the company, you're getting out of your head, you're, made, you're kind of crowdsourcing, like, th- this work, the stain-grade work is still mostly in your head in this company. Is this following the same trend coming up for this exterior season? Are you going to be doing less of these special head scratch and potentially annoying projects?
0: Um, yeah, it's it's going to kind of happen by default because, again, with the sales infrastructure that we've got in place now, we're selling a lot more projects um, of all types earlier. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is unlike a glutton from punishment, <laughs> the you've described these stained grade monstrosities as like the bright light or something of moth. You're like a moth to the flame. The shiny object. The shiny, it's shiny and, object, yeah. 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 Again or the it's, other it's all, I like moth to a flame better because they sure. usually end up hurting a little.
1: But again but the Hollandleck similarity there it's the shiny object
0: yeah it's shiny object you just want that um the uh so of course if i'm like backed up on estimating and i've got you know a big lead job in burlington they want an estimate i got this i got that i got that and somebody calls you know down in richmond with a nice you know contemporary cedar siding that i'm just like oh i could make this thing pretty you know what they get an estimate sure and then we end up doing that job and so it pushes our historically are the number of stain grade projects we do to be higher because I'm the one doing the estimate and I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Right now it's not me doing all the estimating. And so all projects are getting equal value mm. or equal attention mm-hmm. and all projects are getting an estimate right away. Yep. And so we're just booking non-stain grade. So we're going to be full before I have the opportunity to shoot myself in the foot like that. You know, which is big picture a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yes, because it's, it's, it's hard to be, um, you, you know, know, that kind of uh, having me tied, having me have to do that kind of thing is a problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and uh, there's no real way, because of the deep, deep amount of troubleshooting and knowledge that has to be exercised for that kind of work that's one thing that's there's almost no way out of yeah I think and and I think about it a lot like you know we're obviously we, we love talking about how, how to systemize your company and and do the things but there are certain things you know it'd be like you know if an artist outsourcing their art mm-hmm. it just can't I mean you it's, I know some artists do that but it's it's just one of those things where there's so much nuance. Um, in this, it's it again, we may be talking from the bubble of our market because Mm -hmm. we're Northern climate with lots of money. There's a lot of houses around here with stain grade finishes. that shouldn't have them because they're just not going to last full exposure, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, you move into different regions of the country, you might have a a housing stock that is more simple. Just be like, look, you, you roll up, you hit it with house wash. It comes clean enough you hit it with more Cabot 3000
3: Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: you move on to the next one and you could systemize that and you could go. So it doesn't necessarily apply to everybody, but around here, again, how many on one hand I can count the number of houses where I've rolled up, cleaned it, been able to just hit it with oil again because somehow in the 25 years the house has been around, nobody's hit it with Mm non-oil acrylic nonsense. Mm -hmm. It's a miracle when that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, and and it came clean with a soft, wa- functionally a soft wash. Yep. And when that happens, yeah, you could see yourself systemizing it. But the problem is, is that doesn't work usually. Like that isn't usually the system. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say that's your system, and you could sell that. It's going back to service. Uh, the The service we provide is a soft wash, and application of stain. Mm-hmm. So if the soft wash sucks, or doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, just put stain on and move on and you can systemize that obviously it's not totally rocket science to soft wash a house and put stain on it um but it is not rocket science but it's much more difficult to um apply the the craftsmanship or the the knowledge to that house and Mm -hmm. and get it as good as it can be for a reasonable price yes balancing that Yes. You know, because again, you could probably systemize restoration of houses. Mm-hmm. You know, fifty thousand bucks for a cape, mm-hmm. and I mean, I could just put a team of people there and be like, I don't know, just massage it for three months, mm-hmm. two months. You know, like i whatever. Yeah. So you could systemize the two extremes, but that nuance in the middle is hard to replace without the the owner or the person who cares a lot. Yes. If you're a company that has a guy who's like. A freak and obsessed with wood, you're just lucky. Now you've got a guy who does this for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But that guy probably doesn't exist because he's doing his own thing, if he's that motivated. It makes me... All these things are true. It makes me a
1: little sad that in this market people with these houses that could be really gorgeous with the right person with the right budget... Okay, by right person I mean you, me, or Scott Burt. (laughs) Um, At this point, I believe Scott Burt is not touching the exteriors. That Honestly, his writing taught me how to do well. Like it was his JLC and maybe APC articles and probably some paint talk stalking that taught me how to do state grade uh, restoration. He's doing just interior, as far as I can tell, or mostly. Um, that's oh, where I'm headed, saying. and you are not totally off him, but leaning away and doing less volume. Okay, so th- we're defaulting to. We're going to the easier, <laughs> more manageable thing, and yeah. and. Man, just like that—that that, it kills that craftsman in me a little bit. That yeah, it all these the houses just—they're either not going to get done and get worse every year, or some jabroni's going to do them poorly yeah. and make a bad situation worse. Yeah. And that just makes me sad. And I get it. And I'm part of the—I'm not solving the problem. I don't think I'm part of the problem. But mm. <laughs> I don't
0: know. yeah, a lot of, yeah, uh, it is a bummer. And uh, I think the same things. But you know, at some point. Um, you've got mental health and stuff that you got to worry about. It's it's the right call for me right now. <laughs> if I ever add back any
1: exterior, it's gonna be wildly high bid, sexy, stain grade restoration mm-hmm. on non three story sickens houses. But
0: well, what if um, you have a bunch of lifts at your disposal? Well, I guess, and you can do three stories. What if three stories <laughs> is no higher than one story? <laughs> three three is-
1: stories is the new plank. It's the yeah. new step ladder. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. All work is
1: groundwork. I like that, um, work should be groundwork. Work looking ahead at your summer. You know, we talked about you know the estimating, all the the software. What about the people? Who's coming back? Who are you trying to hire right now? What's what's the staffing looking like?
0: I think we've got everybody. Wow. Um, so ten, mm-hmm. counting me, mm-hmm. all returning, and we're hiring uh, only either direct referral. Mitch has a somebody he is bringing on board, which is incredible. Um, But we're not hiring painters this year. We're looking to hire, but we're not hiring painters, not even advertising to hire painters. We're hiring uh, only apprentice level people. Um, We're working on building a, I say building, but it's a concept and an attitude more so than a program or a bunch of paper. Mm Um, but I'll call it an apprenticeship program. And uh, the concept is that people um, shouldn't, if we want to, where do I start? So you, it's hard to start somebody in the trades and expect them to produce. Right. Yet that's the standard expectation. Uh, how quickly can you spool somebody up to produce? How quickly, you know, what can you do this? What can you do that? Um, or conversely, you do the, uh, you know, like learn through osmosis thing where you just put somebody on a job site and they get crapped on and made to do crap work mm-hmm. until they either get it or quit. Yep. Right? Yeah. So, like, that's how you approach it. You either approach it from the proactive standpoint of – I'm going to have a program where I train this person and get them spooled up to produce as quickly as possible and they have a lot of support, or you chuck them into the pot and hope that they boil, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, or, you know, they either, they either succeed or they fail, you know, and that's really, you know, that's how we've done it in the past. We've had various swings at training people, trying to, you know, dedicated trainers, this, that, you know, all just the same thing as like all the other processes we had over the year, you know, you use them for a while and then you go the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so this year, you know, our, our, the real concept is that, um, an apprentice can fulfill a very important role on a job site without being expected to produce. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe the, maybe the most fundamental difference is the concept of not expected to produce because, um, and all the trappings that come with that. So not expected to do anything really except learn. And, um, since that's the expectation, you don't need to worry about what the apprentice is doing all day. Mm-hmm. Um, you are giving them instruction on basic tasks uh, that support the team. So again, when you have small amount of painters and, and, and lifts, and when somebody's on a lift, they're producing mm-hmm. at a very high rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and the worst thing that you can do is have somebody who's in a lift doing... Work at a rate that's netting the company, you know, sometimes two to three hundred dollars an hour. The last thing you want that productive person to do is have to boom down to the ground, get out of the lift to go put paint in their sprayer. Sure,
1: move a drop. You can literally for
0: the for how effective a highly for for how effective a extremely skilled painter in a lift can be, Mm -hmm. you can afford to pay somebody to sit in a lawn chair and watch them paint. Literally, because they're faster than two people. Sure. If they're good and have a lift and are and know how to use that lift. Sure. Um, I think a lot of people who put lifts on site, they don't see that gain in s- speed because they're, again, they have a lift on their job site that one time they had to do something really hard. They yeah. don't really learn how to use a lift on a job site to really quantum leap productivity, mm-hmm. right? But we we do that. Mm-hmm. And what's torpedoes our productivity is when a guy has to get out of the lift to do you know take care of himself sure you know put paint in the sprayer move a drop cloth that blew away in the wind mm-hmm. all that stuff now you're not just running down a ladder you're booming down out of a lift and it's crushing productivity so yeah. you can mm-hmm. literally you know the core of this concept is that if you are, if your production people are productive enough you can literally pay somebody to you can pay a second person to sit behind them and just be like a squire or mm-hmm. something you know <laughs> not that we would is say that's what the position is. But that's the the expectation is this person doesn't have to be producing anything. Hmm. And so when you're talking, that's like the point, you know, you could easily just be like, well, then that person's just going to sit in a lawn chair and collect their paycheck. It's like, no. It's a cynical view of it. But yeah. It's a cynical view of it. And uh, it ignores the fact that that's not all we're telling them. We're not just saying you don't have to produce. Mm-hmm. We are saying you have to learn. Mm-hmm. So if they're sitting in that lawn chair, watching a highly skilled painter move around in a lift and move their body to paint effectively. Mm-hmm. And they're learning and thinking and asking questions. And if the person who's painting is like, Hey, you see this, check this out. You know what I do here? Mm-hmm. And there's a learning exchange, then that's all the productivity we need. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the guy in the lift can be like, Hey, uh, my drop blew away, go, you know, put it down back down, you know, and they she's got something to go or my sprayers kicking. Go add some paint. Having these people around on the job site, you're going to get this low-end work done. Mm-hmm. And, but we're hoping that by conceptually framing it as you're basically in school. Mm-hmm. And yes, you're going to be doing these low-level. You're going to set the job site up the more you're, you're going to get there. We might even try to pay them um, to, to show up maybe a little early. And start pulling stuff out of the trailer. We're not sure exactly how it's functionally going to work. But basically, you're running support for this team. Yeah. And, but rather than being like the peon who's just, you know, oh, you don't know how to paint. So you have to pick up paint chips. Mm -hmm. It's more, step one isn't learn how to paint in this company. Step one is learn... What the what painting is? Learn the flow. The flow. Learn what's special flow. about what we do yeah. here? Learn how yeah. a house gets painted
1: this level in yeah. this company.
0: Be thinking about like why is like why is Vic starting over there this morning?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Hey Vic, why are you starting over here? Yeah. Oh, I'll take a second and just explain to you how this. You know, like if we can get people who are engaging on a learning level,
2: mm-hmm.
0: we're 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 in a position where we can uh where we're willing to put forth the investment to pay them not to actually produce any revenue. Mm-hmm. Outside of the fact that they're enabling high producers to produce more revenue, which in a yeah. sense is producing. It's,
1: it's on the surface level saying they're not producing right. like a little it's because it's weird. Yeah, I mean, allowing a high
0: level producer to do better is it offsets and right. probably adds. Exactly. Um, exactly. But the expectation isn't that this person is a servant at beck and call and because that then one of the big problems with having somebody who's learning on a job site is the time it takes away from the producers to teach. Yes. Okay. So simply by, and that's a dynamic that usually happens if, if we hired somebody, it's just like, Oh, you know, new guy, doesn't really know how to paint yet. They have to do all the low end work. Yeah. Well, you still have a guy babysitting this new guy and being like, oh, no, mask a window like this. Oh, no, do this. The whole point of this concept, again, why I say it's not really a program. It's just the way we're trying to think about it. We're going to try it. You know, maybe we can report in the fall and I'll let you know if sure. we just had a bunch of freeloaders sitting in lawn chairs. For the Are cycle. there actually going to be lawn chairs? There might be, actually. Really?
1: I don't know about the lawn chairs part, but I the rest of it.
0: Yeah, I don't know. There probably won't be lawn chairs. We'll yeah. yeah. see. <laughs> There's uh, a paint upside down paint buckets. would Do just. Yeah. Yeah. They'll find a way less comfort. The key is they won't get yelled at for sitting down on the job. Sure. Absolutely not. Sure. Unless they're like on their phone. Sure. You know, engagement is going to matter way more than physical movement. uh, So to speak from a conceptual standpoint. And obviously there is going to be expectation. You know, they do need to be, we can't have this guy floating around the job site and still have our guys booming down to fix a job cloth. Yeah. So they gotta be there. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's some expectation, but that's a really low bar. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and we're going to have like walkie talkies and stuff so that if the guy's not in sight, just just like, you know, again, I'm beating a dead horse. here, but Hey, uh, yeah. My drop cloth blew away already on the South side. Yeah. And you can get the, yeah. And, uh, so we're going to try to kind of have it, uh, have somebody doing the sort of low end, if you will Mm work. Mm -hmm. um without it being without it having the carrying the stigma of you can't paint so therefore you do the low-end work you're here to paint but you can't paint so Mm -hmm. therefore you get punished by doing this we say no you're here to facilitate this job site and learn yeah and here's how you facilitate this job site i think there's a lot of wisdom to that
1: you know on the on the more like relatable just like pragmatic side when people are overwhelmed their brains aren't in good learning mode it's in fear mode
0: exactly
1: um so if they have the the bandwidth to step back and not be in fear mode because they don't know what they're doing or getting yelled at i know (laughs) um um, they're gonna learn better they're gonna be a better sponge you know the right personality is gonna take that as there's also this like kind of romantic notion about that i feel like there's like these this like notion of like the Japanese cabinet shop where someone has to sweep the floor for two years and it's not a punishment but when they get to use that saw even if it's a hand saw they are elated yeah right and it's it's I could see some little parallel there where it's like you get a hungry person who's like I want to be a badass on a lift and like once they get the opportunity it's there's gonna be a lift for them yeah there's no
0: timeline here that you know it's not like we, we don't say you have to do this for a summer um if somebody is like has the if somebody's super proactive, mm-hmm. let's just let's make an ideal scenario here. You know, this could be fantasy, but like really picking things up. You know, it's like nine a.m. Job site's impeccable. We got two guys, two lifts producing, mm-hmm. and we've got our guy floating around the job site. And he's out of stuff to do, mm-hmm. and he yells up and is like, "Hey, uh, can I start painting some low trim?" Uh yeah, of course you can. Yeah, keep your walkie-talkie on you in case my paint kicks. But
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and then he can go do you know you, the, the the project manager will probably just you know save some stuff, you know like low baseboards or corner boards, you know stuff that's easy stuff. If, if this guy's like literally never painted before, yeah, you know you give him the really easy and sure, like it's not a rule you can't paint. Mm-hmm. It's that painting's not the point. Yeah, again the con the the whole concept is that you start. From zero, you know, you you're going to school for, uh, op, like operating within the context of a trades job site, mm-hmm. and once you have the hang of operating within the context of a trades job site, then you can start learning the trade.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas if the other way around, normally, is when a new an apprentice shows up, number day one, you're training.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Here's a paintbrush. This end goes towards the wall. Swing. Yeah. Right. And then, but they never learn about how a, a job site works. Mm-hmm. So when you come around the corner and they don't have a drop cloth down and they just get yelled at because they didn't know a drop cloth, they were just like, Oh, I didn't know. you know, it's like, I forgot, you know, it's like these people are going to be ingrained on in where drops go and how and why and mm-hmm. when. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we're just hoping that number one, uh, will attract people in, by giving them a path and number two um it's different and uh it's slightly different and you know very few people like uh for instance we've been working on uh somebody who should work like really probably could and should work for us um and I don't, I don't know them. another friend of Mitch's mm-hmm. he's just he's a monster he's just going out and doing all the all the recruiting for us but he's got a friend who works as a carpenter right now and it sounds like a terrible job like right now they're doing they're installing siding using 40 foot ladders oh and they no. gotta like carry a piece of siding up a ladder and nail it on oh, no. and go down and cut and it sounds terrible and it's it's just awful but the guy's like but I'm a carpenter and I want to be a carpenter because carpenter's aspirational trade mm. You know, people want to be carpenters because it sounds good and the ladies love it. Yeah. But nobody wants to be a painter. Sure. Right. So, uh, that's a stigma that really should be crushed and, uh, you know, we'll work on that, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, but the, uh, the catch is that if you could get people before they have that stigma or give them a, um, a different picture of what it's like to be a painter, because, if somebody's like, I don't know if I want to be a painter, but I'll give it a try. And they show up and on day one, they're given a paintbrush and it sucks. They're like, yeah, painting does suck. Which a lot of people have that experience in yeah. the college franchises. Exactly. And they're yeah. like, yeah, painting sucks. Like I, yeah. I showed up, they sent me up a ladder. I didn't know what I was doing. I spilled a paint bucket. Mm-hmm. I it was scary. I, yeah. It was scary. I quit. Yeah. And yep. so if we show up and be like, this is what it actually means to be a painter. It means being productive and professional
2: mm-hmm.
0: and operating a job site. And respecting someone's home and respecting yourself and respecting the trade, Mm -hmm. and we start there, then the person, I'm not saying, you know, the public isn't going to care. Publics are still going to think painters are a bunch of overalls wearing, chain-smoking degenerates. Mm -hmm. But the people who come work for us are going to get a different picture of what it's like to be a painter, and then maybe they'll stick around. Mm -hmm. So... And you... Yeah. No, you know,
1: if anyone else was saying this, I'd be like, "Ah." but you've demonstrated that you guys have the secret sauce in terms of recruitment and retention in, in a way that others recruitment, don't. Recruitment,
0: not so much. Retention, I think you're, I will accept. You don't think recruitment's fair? We haven't been able to hire somebody in three years. Have you been trying? We, yeah, we do yeah. employment ads every year. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, interviewed like uh, last year, Blake interviewed like 10 people. And a couple of them we technically hire and they never show up or something. Like, it, it's just awful. Hiring painters is really bad here. So you've been trying to hire painters
1: the past, like all those people he's been interviewing, have they been all painters?
0: Not necessarily. It's just like okay. people who think they might want to paint. Sometimes painters, r- rarely do we get a painter. We get some painters who are like, "Yeah, I'm seventy and think I can paint still. I painted for forty years." And they're sure. like, oh, man. "Yeah, not, like not that guy. Nope, no, like, nope, nope." I'm sure you're great, man, but like it's it's just hard to imagine that working out. And I mean, of course you you. You know, give you know you follow up, but it's just. Man, yeah no, I didn't know. Like yeah, no, we're, we've we're, been, at, we're at the end of recru- this. Yeah, thing, recruiting is like, recruiting I, has not been a like we've tried we've done the the thing where it's like you know you you do the the old college try mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. ads in seven days ads in Craigslist ads in on uh, um what's the one we use uh, Handshake no. Likes in charge of this but uh, uh, anyway the other place where people go to look sure. for jobs sure uh, that's really common <laughs> regardless indeed regardless. Indeed. Yeah. indeed sure yeah sure. Um, so we've done all the uh, you know we've done we do that it's like a routine you know we've got the ads and we do the thing and we spend you know four or five thousand bucks every spring and it's just one of those things that we've done out of habit more mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. without you know for the last two years we haven't expected much out of it. Hmm. Prior to that, we would expect a lot and not get anything. Um, but again, we weren't doing anything innovative there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Posting a job ad and then bringing people on, you know, putting them on a crew and being like, "Paint house, yeah." Then we'll teach you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not innovative. It doesn't do anything. And, and yeah, the people we did hire would wash out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and you know, we the people we have we hired at some point. So obviously, we were successful with recruitment periodically throughout. Time, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I wouldn't say that just because we've managed to accumulate ten people that recruitment is the is where we succeeded. I think that Interesting. So um, much retention retention. <laughs> retention through all of the retention strategies, mm-hmm. high pay, um, sustainable workload, um, good company culture, mm-hmm. um, paths to improvement, and you know anybody who wants to do more. And the company is given the opportunity nobody's held down mm-hmm. nobody's pigeonholed uh, i mean we work really hard not to sometimes someone's good at something they end up having to do it a bunch then they you know but we just tell them speak up yeah if you're tired of scraping lead mm-hmm. you're just really good at scraping lead man yeah think. yeah but if you're tired of scraping lead just go, go paint something else for you know like we mm-hmm. we try mm-hmm. really hard not to uh make the experience working for us anything even approaching unsustainable we want you know somebody who paints for us we feel like they should be able to say like i could do this indefinitely Mm -hmm. it doesn't grate my soul Mm -hmm. it's not destroying my body Mm -hmm. um and uh you know we're fortunate again to be existing in a market that's supporting us running a painting company like that yeah because in a tighter market if you were only able to bill like 50 dollars an hour yeah what's the most you can pay someone 20, 25. Yeah. You know, when I mean, we start with our apprentices, we're starting, uh, the apprentice one, so to speak, the guy sitting in a lawn chair, 2150 mm-hmm. plus $3,000 sign on bonus. Wow. For six months. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's unprecedented in, at least in this industry from, from what I've heard from any other owner.
0: Yeah. But again, that's your model.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it goes up from there, like, you know, Managers, uh, you, you know people who've been with us a long time and are really earning their keep and, and doing stuff people like Mitch and Jason and Eric. and uh, actually I guess I could just go down through the whole list because mm-hmm. literally all 10 of the people who are working for us right now are phenomenal people and uh, you know, we pay them accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the market is supporting us charging enough money, yes, to pay somebody that much yes. where would we be if the market wasn't supporting mm-hmm. it if I could only sell painting a house for you know $6,500 instead of eighteen five, mm-hmm. that would be a bummer that and would be, we would you couldn't do it you couldn't it's, do it it's yeah yeah
1: and yeah this has been fascinating dissecting your business as it <laughs> and, and, and framed as a direct byproduct of this very unique market yeah yeah
0: with emphasis on unique market but everybody lives in their own unique market, mm-hmm. so uh-huh. uh, maybe the takeaway is more about how one adapts to their market to best suit it, you know? I, I hope that is a big one. Because yeah. nobody's nobody's business model is going to copy-paste to a completely different market.
1: Right. You know? right. We can all draw from each other, but taking a blueprint
0: from someone way across the country is But you know not what works work. equally well in any market? Hmm. Lifts. <laughs> that's the real takeaway <laughs> that's the real takeaway <laughs> your people your employee like uh, you know a $10 an hour guy is going to be just as happy to be working from a lift as a $45 an I hour guy I cannot argue against that no, stick <laughs> around they will get a lot done <laughs> cool
1: uh, again where do people find you for all that sweet lift porn you're going to start posting in a month to change
0: at Green Mountain Painters
1: cool just on the gram on the gram that's cool, cool. All right. Simple, straightforward. Any other closing thoughts from session one of In Noah's Wall? Uh, no. I'm not going to call it that. and just this I'm is highly, still this is still novel to me. I yeah, like this. I'm
0: highly comfortable in a work zone. I, you know, had worked. You know, I was renovating my house for over a decade, living with exposed studs and drywall, and and so I'm just I'm at home. There's going to be, so we have these stupid heaters
1: at our feet. I'm going to put vented wood, kind of like bar mm-hmm. benches, because it's, you know, you want to put your feet out here, but you can't yet, and mm-hmm. I'm going to hollow them them, because again, I'm experimenting with all this stuff, right? nice. and then I'm going to put my feet on them, it's going to be way more comfortable to sit here. But anyway, thanks for stopping by. We have gone, we are about at three hours here. Wow. wow. It just goes, right? It does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's easy just to to talk about this stuff.
1: It sure is. Well, hope everyone enjoyed and uh, hit up Tyler, follow him. And yeah, thanks again. Man. Thank you. All right, I hope you found that conversation as fascinating as I did. Make sure to follow Tyler at Green Mountain Painters on the gram. And hopefully they should be starting their amazing lift content in April, May, depending on the weather, and once they really get rocking. So Shoot any and all questions, comments, feedback my way at advice from young tradesmen on Instagram and see you next time. Thanks again
0: for listening. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.